Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and we're up to episode 118. My thanks to Tea Leaf Tea, Le Petit Chocolat, and Yeasty Boys, as always. Uh, remember, if you're interested, there's a press patron attached to this. You can uh, contribute to that if you want. Um, my thanks to you for tuning in and listening. You can uh, rate this on iTunes. You can do all of that sort of stuff if you want, but I'm just happy if you're here having a listen. Um, I had a chat with a guy called Chris Teese. He is a Wellington-based poet. Um, he's, he's got some other things going on, he's, a, he's, he's been involved in bands and he's composed music and he continues to, to do that or will do that in some shape or form, but he's best known uh, as a poet and you know he went through the um, Victoria University MA program with Bill Manhire as his tutor and he released some poems in a collection of or AUP Poets for it was called, a, a shared collection of, book, uh, of poems, three, three poets and then uh, He's released two volumes. The first one came out uh, about four years ago, uh, How to Be Dead in a Year of Snakes. And the new one is, is brand new. It's a couple of months old. It's called He's So Mask. So we talked about his, uh, his work and he read some poems, um, but we also talked a lot about music. Uh, music's a big part of his life and it's a big part of what has shaped these poems, I think particularly the second book. Um, and he has a thing for... Um, the female singer-songwriters of the late 90s, which I I have a massive thing for too. Um, we talked about Tori Amos and PJ Harvey and Liz Fair and Heather Nova and Tanya Donnelly and the Throwing Muses and all of these things are, are really, these albums by these artists are things I, I still love and he does too. And um, he's travelled to visit uh, to see these people play gigs and so yeah there's a lot of music talk in this and um, there's also a lot of um, personal upbringing and identity in this. Um, the poems are incredibly deep and uh, it was really properly my first time meeting Chris. Um, uh, we probably got a few mutual friends and we had met very briefly but uh, I reached out to him for the podcast really because I was blown away by his books, particularly for me the second book. Um, I, I just absolutely loved it and uh, and it was really great to, you know, it's one of the privileges of doing this, to get to actually meet someone and find out about them in a conversation. So I really hope you enjoy this. I certainly did. This is me talking with Chris Tease. So I, I feel like we're going to end up talking about hopefully a few different things, but, but it's all going to be, I feel like, things in your life that have informed your work yep. I, but I you know I mean we don't really know each other we, we met I think once before once probably and uh, very much in passing but I've sort of been aware of your uh, you know work for a little while but you know and the books uh, they've kind of come out pretty quickly together really like quite, uh, quite closely together yeah not to, quite four years yeah um, yeah but I was writing both of them kind of at the same time right yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. That, but that still can be quite for poetry like a lot of people you know, they don't tend to bang out. No. Yeah. Every I mean, now and then there's... God, there are know, some writers that are so prolific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it tends to be some quite big gaps between volumes of poetry. Yeah. Um, so I guess I want to get um, some sense of, of, of who you are and how this has come to be. So, I mean, you're, you're a Wellingtonian? Yes, grew up in Lower Hutt. Yeah. Is that, was that okay? Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. I had a really good art experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I really don't know too much about... I mean, I've lived in Wellington for over 20 years and I don't know too much about the hut. Um, you know, I, I think maybe I just haven't known enough people based there to spend yeah. huge amounts of time there. It's it's kind of a, a passing through place for me. What I mean, it's, it strikes me as being um, 
similar to maybe my experience growing up in, in place like Hastings or people that grew up mm-hmm. in Palmerston North and that and that you know size wise it's yeah. a little bit like that but obviously it's got this connection to a bigger city yeah and I guess you know growing up there and being so close to Wellington you, I never really felt like there was a divide I think no, that, I think yeah. that divide tends to start creeping in when you grow up and yeah. you realize people like have this view of the hut yeah um, yeah yeah know, especially if they grew up in wellington and they yeah. sort the hut as like the poor cousins yeah yeah um but i i love the hut i have like my family is still out there mm. i have um a few friends who have actually ended up settling back yeah. there again yeah. um, and others who refuse to settle there right so it's sort of a bit of a different a experience mix. for yeah. each person and and when you say you had a good experience i mean i mean what what was going on for you growing up there I think because my mum grew up in Petone, mm-hmm. um, and my grandparents lived in Petone until they died. So um, I was always in that sort of lower hut Petone era area mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. And mum and dad had Chinese takeaway outlets in the Chinese grocery store in lower hut. So we were very much a part of, I guess, the Chinese community in lower mm-hmm. hut. So mm-hmm. it always felt like... Um, I don't want to say like a safe space, but it, 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 I never felt like an outsider or anything like that. Mm, you know, people mm. have always asked me what did it feel like growing up Chinese in the hut, but the Chinese community in Lower Hut is so big that it's like it's not like you're sticking out all the time. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it really just felt like a normal childhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I joke that I'm a little bit bogan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and and. What what what's going on for you in your childhood outside of that? In term in terms of cultural experiences, when do you connect with music? And we'll talk about music a bit more. Mm. That's obviously a big part of not just your your life and interest, but it, uh, it clearly comes in through your work. Yep. I, and, and and I imagine inspires and yeah. motivates. You know, you've got quotes by favourite songwriters at the start of the book, so yes. that's that's part of the dead giveaway there. But um, so when do you connect with music and I guess words, writing, artistic stuff? I've, I think I've always been a very creative person that was quite drawn to music mm. and performance. Mm. Um, my mum has always mentioned how, like in early kindergarten and school reports, you know, that there were little snippets and then they say, oh, you know, has a great sense of rhythm or really enjoys music and yeah. really enjoys um, singing time and mm. choir and all that. So I, I don't quite know what it was that sort of drew me to it. My family are appreciative of um, the arts and um, going to shows and things like that, but mm. they weren't necessarily creative. Pushing it yeah. either. Just, um, yeah. So I even now I'm still a little bit of an a black sheep in the, in the family in that right. respect. Yeah. yeah. My brother is... Um, yeah, really I was just going to say, so siblings... Yeah, so I have a, a younger brother, and he's only a couple of years younger than me, and he's yeah. really into um, photography. Right. Um, and um, so that's sort of his creative um, outlet. That's not usually something that a, a little kid would pick up. No, that's gonna, no. That's going to happen later. Later, on, yeah. Later on, whereas um, things like books, music, TV and film watching, that can come in very early. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was always reading a lot and mum and dad would always tell me that I was reading too much too and much. it would ruin my eyesight. <laughs> right. Um, so I, but they embraced it and they really supported me. So they'd sent me off to drama classes and when I wanted to learn an instrument, they let me sort of pick one. So I picked mm. violin and then all the way through like primary, intermediate and um, secondary school, I did choirs and orchestras and things like that. So they were, you know, they, they let me mm. follow mm. those paths. Um, mm. And then when it came to deciding what I wanted to do at uni, um, they wanted me to 
do something practical, so they really wanted me to do something like a BCA. Yeah, um, yeah. I was Just like going to say commerce degree, commerce degree, <laughs> safety, safety, yep, safety net. net. Yeah. Um, I had sort of accepted that English was my best subject, and I and I did want to do something creative. So that was at that point where I was really getting into filmmaking. So that's when I decided, all right, I'm going to go and do a film and English lit, and had to tell my parents, no, I'm not going to do a commerce degree, <laughs> and they were they were a bit worried, but they've sort of and I guess you know it's all worked out in, in the end like mm. I have a day job you know um, yeah. in the public sector where I do comms and that yeah. sort of pays the bills and feeds me and um, gives me rent so yeah um, yeah and but then I have all this other stuff on the side that they yeah. see that I'm doing really well with and that they're very proud of so it's yeah. but yeah you've ended up with that safety yeah. net exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah okay um and so what were I mean I guess what were some of the really formative things that that meant a lot to you in, in, in your experiences as a, as a reader or a listener that that either pushed you towards creating or just, you know, stay with you? Um, we used to have a family friend who was here in New Zealand studying at university, so this was when I was probably still in primary and intermediate school, and she would take us to the movies a lot. She would babysit us. So mm. we went. my brother and I went to the movies a lot as kids, and I think from a sort of um, cultural um sort of um, experience that that really fueled my interest in creating mm-hmm. and telling stories um i remember because i went to school i'm gonna I hate doing this name dropping <laughs> but i went to school with anna paquin right and um when i actually went and saw the piano yeah i was still in standard four yeah and said, yeah and um i told her at school and she, and she she wasn't allowed to go see it herself right <laughs> um, wow. and now hang on yeah. did you know that she was I mean how much did you know about her being in it before you we saw knew, it you would knew, have known right yeah, we knew she, it was a big deal because she had yeah, been taken she, out of school yeah, to yeah, go yeah. do this film no I mean this yeah. is not this is a great name drop because, <laughs> because that story is you know I think I'm sure it's fascinating to a lot of New Zealanders because because that was an amazing success story exactly yeah and it was it, I mean I remember being fascinated by the story the story because I loved the film yep. and just you know, we all knew the story, obviously, by the time we got, you know, it's part of what got New Zealanders to that movie. It yep. was, you know, yeah. a big deal that it was a New Zealand movie with some Hollywood stars in it, but it was a New a, Zealand a, a story New and Zealand. it had this, and then she gets nominated for the Oscar, Oscar. And, wins. And, and wins, and so we're all tuning in to see that. Yeah, so when, yeah, she, yeah. when she won the Oscar, it kind of made that gap between Lower Hut and Hollywood like shrink. Yeah, and I yeah. Thought, well, you know, <laughs> I could be <laughs> and Anna at school. Could yeah, do it. yeah, yeah. Not that I was like thinking I was going to become an Oscar-winning actor or anything, yeah. but I just thought, you know, it, it, it. I'm not hindered yeah. by anything. I can just do this, you know, and just see what happens. Wait, so go back. So you said to her, oh, I saw that movie you're in, and I yeah. really liked it." And she and she basically said, oh, "I haven't seen it." Yeah, she was really. It. She was surprised, and yeah. um, you know, I, I don't think many yeah. would have been eleven. 11 year olds wow, would yeah, have gone yeah, and seen yeah. it at the movies because yeah. my friend was like are you sure you want to see this it's like yeah my friend's in it yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i was always just really interested in and w- things what was know? the yeah well, well what was your uh, i imagine that that film could be quite profound on a on a young person watching it you know with obviously you've got some developed taste in, yep. in movies you, as you say you're going to lots of them but that that's quite a esoteric piece of exactly. it's storytelling not <laughs> for, for a mainstream for still a mainstream film mm-hmm. it's quite you know it's quite a strange 
um, little tale. Yeah, and I think what I really loved about the piano was the the use of the music in it, mm-hmm. and how the, the music and the piano itself became the voice for yep. Ada in yeah. the film. Um, and and I, it's a film I've only ever watched once. I've I loved it, but I've never. Oh, right, you know, yeah. this this conversation will probably make me go back and want to see it. But but the music, like that's. Yep. I mean, I've got the soundtrack album on vinyl. Like yep. I, you know, I played it so much as a CD that I had a couple of copies of it, and and it got me fully into Michael Nyman's yep. amazing body of work. But yeah. you know, I, I didn't know about that until after seeing that. Yeah. But I wanted to go out and check out who this guy was who composed that stuff, and obviously. It's almost like a, a an anomaly in his catalogue yeah. of works. And he wasn't even nominated. Yeah, and it's film. such a, you know, it's such a, you know, some people might think it's a bit naff or something now because of, of its sort of popularity, but it's such an impactful score. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those those first few notes, you instantly mm. know what mm-hmm. you're listening to. I guess um, thousands of people with, uh, you know. A handful of beginner lessons starting to play it is probably what's fucked it for a lot of, yeah. for a lot of people, you know. Like, but that's not the fault of the yeah. the composer or the filmmaker or anything. Yes, okay. So, and then because Anna um, Paquin, yeah. So that must have been a big deal in your school. Too, oh, like, totally. Just, yeah, we were at school camp when in Form One when she won the Oscar. Yeah. And I remember waking up the morning after and they put the front page. I guess it was the Evening Post at yeah, the time, yeah, yeah, up on the bulletin board at camp. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> wow. When you look back on it, it's actually kind of surreal. Yeah, totally. But because you're a kid, you just think, oh, okay, because <laughs> you don't know well, how important say, it is. And, and we probably had to wait until, you know, there's a whole bunch of people now who went to school with Lord yep. or something, and but that's, the, that's, like, that's a long time in between. Yeah. And the world is smaller and more connected in that yep. time and know, the way like that paths that, can um, exactly is you different. know and yeah. there's there's stories obviously none quite as big as lord but it's not quite the absolute anomaly it was yep. like there's a few other success stories sort of a, nearly equivalent to yeah. that whereas that anna paquin thing was just yeah crazy yeah 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 Wow. Okay. So that's yeah. No, that's a that's a really good name. Don't, don't feel ashamed about <laughs> oh, that. That's a that's great. Now, we're, so where were we? So you watched a lot of films. I watched and, a lot of films, yeah. and I, I read a lot of books. Yeah. I love to read. Yeah. Um, and I but because I didn't, I read whatever we were sort of um, given at school. But my parents weren't readers, so they never sort of um, sort of pushed me into any sort of genre or right. or, or writers. And I ended up reading a lot of. R.L. Stein and right. um, Christopher Pike yeah. and um, love Roald Dahl. Mm. Roald Dahl is probably the one thing that my parents kind of got, I guess, yeah, in terms yeah. of like you know um, childhood right, writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I didn't exactly read like the classics or anything like that, and I wasn't introduced to poetry or yeah. anything. Um, but I just, I just sort of just found things. Mm-hmm. I just went looking for things. And mum and dad didn't listen to um, contemporary music. Mum mm-hmm. um, always listened to talkback. Uh, dad had his Cantonese sort of pop songs and Chinese opera, so I was never really... What did you make of that? I, I love it. Like, yeah. I hear certain songs and I'm instantly taken back to watching dad yeah. singing karaoke in our lounge. Yeah. Um, there are certain songs, like my brother and I, there are certain songs we'll just sort of, like, hum a few <laughs> notes to each right. other and we're both, like, we know yeah, what we're yeah. talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I didn't, and I had older cousins, but they lived in the Hawks Bay, so we never really saw them. So I never really had anyone mm. who 
introduced me to music mm-hmm. and I remember sort of getting to I guess intermediate when everyone is then starting to sort of yeah, yeah. form an identity and part of that identity forming is like oh this is the music pushing I their to. stuff yeah. onto people yeah yeah so I was listening to things that my friends were listening to and thinking oh this must be cool if you know so and so is listening to it such um, as uh God, presidents of the USA. Right. Well, I was going to say, any embarrassing things, but um, there you go. Well, so my best friend at the time bought the Spice Girls album, and I had no idea who the Spice Girls were, and so I listened to it and I thought, well, this must be cool. <laughs> I mean, yeah. now I think it's the greatest yeah, thing yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, listened to a lot of, like, yeah, Soundgarden and um, Pearl Jam. Yeah. Smashing Pumpkins. Stuff that yeah. I do appreciate now, but... Um, yeah, some of it's very of its Of its day. time, yeah. And I so wouldn't... there's just a nostalgia kind of thing going yeah. on when you listen to it. And then some of it transcends that, and you can say, well, that's actually legitimately great. I, yeah. I like that. It's something that influenced me. Yeah, but yeah, I can't yeah. really say that any of that stuff influenced me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't until, I guess, I think the year was 1997, when um, Bjork's Homogenic came out. Mm-hmm. And that album... So I had been listening to Bjork for a few months before then. I'd sort of mm-hmm. seen some of her music videos. And I thought, oh, this is different. No one at school talks about this mm. woman mm. or even owns her albums. I wonder why that is. I loved it. I got debut and post and like, oh, this is unlike anything I've ever heard before. And when Homogenic came out, that album changed my life. Wow. It changed yeah. the way I thought about music, thought about pop music and electronic music and what it could be. Like what she did with that album is just incredible. She's she's never made an album like that since. Yeah, yeah. And she doesn't need to. Yeah. Um, but and I think that's the first album where you know obviously she she'd made a lot of music. You know, she'd yep. done the stuff as a as you know as pretty much as a kid and all of that. But I, I as I understand it, that's the first album where she's pretty much in complete control yep. Yep. of the the arranging. The, yep. the production and, yeah. the, and the writing like she got a lot of help on those first two yeah. which she's always acknowledged but yep. she got you know I think that so that third album is where I was going to say she finds her voice which she seems to change with every album yeah. her artistic voice but yeah. that's really the first big statement isn't it oh I totally think. yeah so that out al- that album was the first album that I guess on uh, Bjork was the first artist that I kind of found on my own mm. without any outside influence from friends or family and I thought okay what else is out there like this and that's yeah, where I started yeah. looking for other artists that gosh and what yeah. do you turn up when you when you look for other things I guess like her because I think I, I, I started sort of really falling into the trip hop sort of right, hole yeah, so yeah, yeah, people yeah. like Lamb yeah. Tricky yeah um, so again some really good stuff and then some stuff that's Deserves to stay in 1997. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I remember loving that first yep. Lamb album, and and then you know like one or two tracks maybe on the second yep. one, and then and that track Gareki was a big thing oh. for me because you know I, I actually had enjoyed some of Gareki's music, so yep. I I felt like I was yes. you know up with the play or whatever. But yep. yeah, that's not a band I could follow for long after <laughs> and I, th- I wonder what that album what, sounds like now what sound the third album is is pretty good it's, okay. it was definitely them being pushed into a more commercial yeah, direction yeah. but it feels it then she did a bunch of solo things she did do some solo stuff yeah but it's yeah their catalogue uh, their catalogue is so yeah. varied yeah, um, yeah whereas Tricky's a guy who I think like over, I mean I sort of was really into him for a long time and then I sort of just sort of forgot yep. but actually go back and I, I don't really think he's made a bad album 
you know, he, he keeps, he ke- and he keeps uh, putting them out. Yep. And the, they're all pretty good. Like, yeah. it's really easy to forget to check in with them, yeah, but yeah, they're all yeah. pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, you know, and I think those early ones, the first sort of three or four of his are fantastic. Yeah. And, they, and they don't sound, and if they sound linked to when they came out, they don't sound stuck there. No, totally yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so... This, so listening to Bjork and sort of embracing Bjork is sort of like it's like one of the first artists that mm. I truly loved. Um, How cool to kind of find it on your own too. To find it on your yeah, own. Yeah, yeah. And then that sort of taught me I can like whatever I like Good. without anyone. Yeah, you don't care. Ca- you know, Which is a big thing to get over, Yep, I, I think. Like a lot of yep. people, you know, this whole notion of guilty pleasures, which obviously... I hate that too. Uh, exactly, <laughs> I was going to say, it's, 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 it's fairly absurd. Yeah. But... Um, you know, people do have some version of that where they, they don't want to tell people about some Something. of the music that they like. Yeah. Well, you know, you don't have to, but if you're going to tell them about some stuff you like, why not tell them about all stuff you like? All you stuff know, like, what, yeah. You know, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, um, okay, and so are you, when do you start writing? Have you, you know, like, are you... Does, I, I was sort of writing terrible song lyrics yeah. <laughs> when I was 15. Yeah. Um, and I I didn't play guitar at that point, so I was really just words and melodies um, mm. that I would record on, like, cassette or, uh, like, a mini-disc player when I got one. Mm. Um, and, that, I mean, that was just me living a fantasy of, like, oh, one day I'm going to be a songwriter and I'm going to, um, you know, record mm. these Bjorkish sort of, like, songs. Mm. Um and I was listening to a lot of Alanis Morissette. Yeah, and which was fairly unavoidable. Yep, yeah. yep. Um, loved Alanis. She was definitely one of the, you know, um, the other artists that I just fell completely yep. in love with. And uh, that's when I started listening to Tori and PJ Harvey. Um, Bikronga has always been one of my number mm. ones. Um, mm. So, you know, watching her grow as a songwriter over the years has been quite... Um, impactful on me as well because mm. she especially like when drive had the 20th anniversary last year you know, yeah. she, she talked about how she's embarrassed by a lot of the songs on that first album she says you know yeah. it's so angsty and yeah, yeah but you know i think well but that was the point in time yeah you were only 20 or 21 when yeah. you wrote and produced that album on your own yeah. of course it's gonna reflect those things that you were thinking yeah. and feeling yeah. at the time yeah. and there's, there's nothing to be ashamed of and the best of that I mean you know yeah everyone can go and revisit things like that and say oh that's a pretty natty production idea or whatever but the the bulk of the songs on that album really stand up I think just about everything does it does really did you see her I didn't see the show oh. but I, I it did make me go back and listen to the yep. album I've, st- I've still got a um I've got a signed CD by her from when it came yeah. out because I was working in, the, in a music store and she came yep. and did an in-store and it's one of the kind of uh you know of that era of like you meeting people doing in-stores that's one of the things like like a kind of item i was quite proud to have yep. yeah yep. yeah yeah so i so that gets sort of dug out once or twice a year and has a spin and i, I listened to it a bit last year thinking about that yeah same yeah 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 and so you went to the show i went to the show i've so i think Beck is the artist i've seen the most right and so seeing last year's show was none but number 18 or 19 wow yeah um and i have seen and heard those songs performed so yes. many times in a few different ways too in a few different know, ways she's, she's done yeah. a few different um configurations yeah. with her shows yeah but like listening to bursting through again and i don't mm. know whether it was in the context of that show but that song brought me to like that performance mm. last year brought me to tears and mm. i I have heard that song so many times. Mm. It's just something really 
special and pure about that experience. Yeah. And then hearing some of the songs that she's actually never performed again since yeah, the first yeah, album yeah, tour yeah. was really special as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, and I think she's an artist that probably doesn't get a lot of credit for um, the, the progression. Like, yeah. I think people treasure her. Yeah. But if you compare Drive to um, an album like Birds or Bell, like the, yeah. the, the leap she made just mm. from album one to album three is just phenomenal. I remember the second album, What's a Beautiful Collision. Yeah. That that was a pretty amazing kind of step up too. Like, yep. like in that, and that, you know, because she had that song that was not on that album, but it was, what was that song she did with that dude from Semi Song? Uh, Good okay. Morning Baby yeah, yeah. with Dan Wilson. Yeah, uh, yeah. and what, what's that on one of the American Pies Goodbye. or something? Yeah. Is it the second one? No, it's the first, first one. one. Yep. Yeah, and so, I mean, you know, so she was really starting to get some big yeah. crossover pop radio international success. And that second album's got some fucking great tunes yeah. on it, and it's got a really great production. It, it, you know, it was such a big leap. But Birds was always the one for me where I was like, man, this is this is an amazing artist. Yeah. This is an actual artist, you yeah. know, not just not not that there's ever anything wrong with just being a good pop singer song. No, no, no. But the, the, yeah, again, it's a bit like homogenic. That third album thing, that real old-fashioned yeah. third album, is the one where they really make the statement of this is my voice. This yeah. is the because you can see that Birds has informed, I think, more than the other two records. Everything she's done since. Yeah. You know, arrangement sort of wise. Yeah, you know? and just the, the concept of bringing all those musicians I wasn't, vocalists together. I mean, I haven't listened to it in a long time, but I wasn't that sold on Bell. But the best things on it felt like a nice, you know, moving on, but yeah. can link back to birds. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. not a bad album. I just, it's it's, a, it's I just, it's catchy. catchy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. No, birds. Just, just from start to finish, for me, is I think her work of art her, yeah 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 yeah, yeah that's the one that's the most the complete album it's the most complete album yeah um and, and everyone on it um i think obviously recognized that yep. because it brought out amazing performances from everyone yep. on it and no one on it and it's some big names oh yeah <laughs> no one on it you know shines greater than her or the songs yep. you know they know and their that place was, in that, that was which one is of the amazing criticisms of them that she relegated them to you know backing vocalists yeah. it's like <laughs> the kids. so what yeah, 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 <laughs> it's yeah. her album yeah oh, I, um, I talked to Anika recently and she said that uh, you know she, she considers that a, a career highlight yep. you know and she uh, for her you know and she said you know Beck Rommel wants me to go and sing backing vocals with her, I'd do that again, you know, if I get to do that ever again, I'm there, you know, yeah. and and I know Ricky, and again, I talked to Ricky Gooch for the podcast, and he, you know, he's done so many amazing yeah. things, and he considers that a career highlight, yeah. you know, he thinks that's, uh, you know, some of his finest playing, and it, and it, and it really is, I yeah. mean, it's amazing, it's where I really, I, I, I'd known Ricky before that, record and I'd enjoyed what he'd done but that's where I was like man this guy is something else yeah. like he really is a master musician and that was the sort of first obviously Neil Finn everyone knows that anyway but yeah yeah like that was that was a, a pretty special show and take they, how they took that all on yep. the road yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah no, I know what you mean with her I think I don't know what it is maybe it's that she's maybe it's that she's had these big gaps in the yeah. you know it's quite a small catalogue of albums yeah, for 20 odd years, years which, yeah. which which I actually think is great like yep. to, to not flood the I mean everyone's got to work and got to eat and so I think that's one of the reasons people pump stuff out yep. obviously because it's hard to but but if you can somehow 
survive, yeah. it's it's far smarter to take your time and yeah, put meaningful no. things out into the world, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And not enough people do that because yeah. because of these other pressures of we've got to we've got to try and create a hit. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you're writing some bad song lyrics. Writing bad song lyrics, and then a group of friends started writing poetry. Mm. And swapping. I love it. I love. I love the. I love the hint of warning in your. Thing. It's so. Well, that's yeah. the thing. Like a lot of a lot of like me ending up in plays and um, writing poetry is because my friends were doing it and I didn't right. want to miss out. So yeah. I, I had I had done drama lessons and um, sort of been in after school things mm. in primary school. But in Intermediate, it was the first time I actually went and auditioned for a school play. Mm. It only went because my friends were doing it at lunchtime. I didn't want to be myself at lunchtime. Mm. So ended up in the play, um, got a really good response, and that kind of just set me on this path of being, oh, Chris, you know, he likes to act. Mm. So, okay, sweet. So I kind of did acting in theatre for a very long time. And then the same sort of thing happened with writing poetry. My friends were writing it. They were sharing it around each other. And I thought, well, I want to get in on this. Mm. Um, So I started writing poetry. And it was... Seventh form, we went to like an open day at Vic, and one of the sessions was um, a poetry reading, and it was um, I think it was Jenny Bornholt, Harry Ricketts, and Stephanie De Montauk, and it, not many people turned up to this session, mm, mm. Um, but it was here that I got to hear these three amazing New Zealand poets read, mm. and learnt about the IIML and the undergraduate um, creative writing classes mm-hmm. that they have. So I thought, okay, that'd be cool. Maybe I'll make it a goal to put together a submission to try and get into one of these classes. So I, that's what I sort of did in my first year of uni. I just wrote a lot, not really knowing whether I was any good or whether any of this stuff was good. Um, sent it off and got into the class. Mm. Um, and it was sort of at that point, I was like, oh, okay, maybe I am okay at this poetry stuff. Um, and that's where it sort of all started taking off. Mm. I learned about the master's class. I thought, all right, I'll make it my goal to try and get into the master's class. And I got in... Um, straight after finishing my BA. Yeah, right. That's yeah. what I wanted to get to with you was I knew you'd done that and, and I've talked to a, a, a handful of people on this mm. podcast that have done that actually and and um, I wondered if you got in straight away and you know or if you got knocked back. No, and, I, got in, I got in on my first attempt. Yeah. Um, so I... It took me three and a half years to do my BA yeah. um, and then I had half a year off and then I went straight into... Yeah. Um, the, the full year, the full MA. MA. and you know, I, I and I know a lot of people that have done that. Mm. And as I said, I've talked to a few, and I live with someone who's done it, and I, you know, um, so I know a wee bit about it. But everyone has some version of the same story. That yeah. basically it was, <laughs> essentially it was. Uh, so I'll, I'll say this first, and then you can tell me your version of it. But yep. basically, they say it was way more full on than they thought, way more immersive. Um, but it was amazing to be around sort of like-minded people to just to just be in a room, uh, whatever it is, a couple of times a week yep. with other people trying to do their version of the same thing. Yeah. And that, that those were the best things that happened out of it, but it was, that was super ex- full on. exactly what it is for me. Yeah. I wish, though, I had maybe given myself an extra year or two. Right. Gone and done some work, you mean? Gone and done some work, lived, Yeah, you know, travelled, whatever. Whatever. Done something and rather than just more study. Yep. Because it, yeah. it was it was a fantastic year. I had a really great class. Yeah. And, you know, I put a lot of effort into that year, but yeah. probably not as much as I could have if I had gone into it um, really valuing 
what a year of writing means yeah. to people. Yeah. Because I was, you know, working for my parents still, so it wasn't like I was in desperate need of a job or anything. I had yeah. all this time that I could have, yeah. you know, committed to the, yeah. the class, which I did. Um, but there were, you know, people there that were working, in, you know, full-time jobs and, you know, having to mm. fit this into their schedules and, um, you know, parents and um, people who had, like, um, elderly parents parents to look after as well so you know mm. these people had lives and mm. you know there was me like this fresh barely graduated kid <laughs> yeah saying, oh yeah i'm just gonna go write some poems and, yeah yeah um yeah and so i wish i had given myself a few extra years what was the split of what was the split of the class in terms of the discipline people were we had um, was it still when you you know you had novelists and poets in the same yeah so we changed it a bit now yeah they? so now they sort of split yeah, yes. everyone up yeah yeah um but so we what had did a, you have we had a decent mix of poets uh a couple of novelists and someone writing a memoir right um yeah no it was a really great mix of people yeah that um i was the only guy in the class so they became this really nurturing sort of right yeah. um group of yeah, women yeah. that i really yeah. looked up to yeah that's not yeah. uncommon to, i you know I, I i guess she is different but i know that's not uncommon to no. know that it's predominantly yep. being women yeah. um what um what sort of strike rate of published authors did that turn out uh, there have been a few so people from there that have you know any i'm not i'm i'm, I'm trying not to say any big names <laughs> uh, in there but you know um, with it, who, had, who was in your year that i had alice miller who's yep, a poet as well yep. and she's um also published by yep. Auckland University yep. Press. Her book came out a few months before mine, yep. and her second book is coming out later this year. Mm. Um, and she's had a lot of success overseas. So mm. she's based in um, Vienna, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. She's published. She's got a UK publisher as well. Yeah. Um, and then we had uh, Natasha Leach, who published a young adult novel um, not long after. And I think that out of my class, that was mm. really it. We had we, so we were the first year of two lots of ten. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the other class had a few other people that got published, um, like Mary McCallum, yeah. um, Anna Sanderson, and gosh, I can't remember who mm, else was mm, in that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Irene Botro. Oh, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Cool. Yeah. And um, and so you have this year of yeah being being nurtured, and mm. um, I guess getting turned on to a whole lot of new yep. writers, you know, yeah. and uh, and are you? Are you happy with the the sort of form of poetry at that point? You're not thinking of oh god, I should actually write stories or no. I was definitely I was definitely yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, a poet. Yeah. Um, but it was fascinating seeing the mm. writing process for mm. the novelists, especially mm. like just seeing the things that they were grappling with and the questions they were asking of themselves and of us, you know, in terms yeah. of feedback. Yeah. I I was also also really lucky that just before the MA year, I got into the Iowa. Um, writing workshop for mm -hmm. poetry so they had this thing where they bring someone from the Iowa That's right. yeah, yeah, yeah. program over yeah. to teach um, the, the short summer course and um, I had this American poet called Megan Johnson who actually introduced me to a lot of contemporary American poetry mm. and some of that stuff has really stayed with me um, since um, and mm. that kind of set me up in some way in terms of the writing that I was sort of reading and wanting to emulate mm. um, or the, the voice that I was sort of playing with I look I found my master's folio and it's <laughs> shocking <laughs> to say the least but you know there is some stuff in it that I am 
still proud of. Right. Like, I mean, the individual pieces. Individual pieces. And any any that um, turned up in the books in any sort so, of way. Yeah, so yeah. So that's I actually wrote some of How to Be Dead in Year of Snakes during that right. year, and some of those poems are in that folio. Mm. Um, and I was quite surprised at actually how many did survive, like like 90, 95% intact mm, mm. from that from 2005. Mm. Um, and then the book came out in 2014. Mm. Um, and I think that's that's probably the thing that I regret is that I didn't really have a focus for that folio. Um, that folio is, I think, in like two thirds. And one third is the How to Be Dead in Your, the early How to Be Dead in mm. Your Snakes poems. And the other third is sort of my... Um, great grandfather family history stuff which then eventually got um reworked and published in AUP New Poets for mm-hmm. and then the other third is just all this really random stuff yeah um individual that, pieces yeah, yeah. That just never really went anywhere um so again if I had given myself you know a few more years I maybe would and have gone into it with like this is the book that I want to write or this is yeah. the manuscript that I want to write and so those random pieces are they the are they the bits that stick out now as the We'll just leave those. Oh yeah, I won't ever go back to them. But they are interesting because they sort of capture. It's all charting. Yeah, it's charting where I'm at. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's right. I was thinking a lot about that stuff at that time. Um, Yeah. So it was. Yeah, I I I loved that year. What was the, um, what was the feedback like on your folio, and how did you like? How hard was that process? Because that I understand that's pretty. Yeah. Daunting, like you get what two or three people. I think it's three people. Three yeah. people assess it. You sort of don't know who one of them is at yeah. least, don't you? One's the tutor or whatever. And do you get to pick one sometimes uh, to look at your? I didn't people? get to pick yeah. one, but someone that they said we're going to get yeah. this person. And yeah. I was like, so okay, that, yeah. sure, whatever. Yeah. And then you get like substantial. Yeah. Notes. So like, my 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 feedback on that folio was. It was good, but it wasn't great. Yeah. Um, which was, you know. And you had you it. arrived at that though, or did you think oh, I've no. had it in the best shit <sighs> ever, or no, had you I, already arrived at that? Had you gone? Some of this is okay. Yeah. Some of this all is, yeah. I think at the time I wasn't. I was just trying to get over the trying to get line. over it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and looking back, I was like, no, they were completely right. Yeah. And you know, I think. I went into it thinking, oh, I'm going to do this class, I'm going to have a manuscript, and then within a year or two I'm going to be published. It'll be great. Mm-hmm. Um, because you'd sort of seen that trajectory from people that had done the course. Um, you know, I was a bit of a slow burner. Like, I published poems and journals after the course, mm. you know, um, but I didn't have a sort of significant publication until AUP New Poets 4, which was mm. 2011, and then Snakes came out in 2014, so it was mm. quite a big yeah. gap. Yeah. Um, and I think the feedback was fair. And I, again, I, you know, if if I had been a bit more focused, I probably would have come up with something better. But then, you know, I mm. that's the best I could have done mm. at that time of my life. Yeah. But Bill Manhigh did say at the end of it, because um, he was my tutor. Yeah. You know, at the, probably at the, my last folio sort of feedback session he said you know I don't want this to sound um, condescending but you know you really have matured um, as a writer from the first day to what you're producing Mm. now Mm. so I think in some ways that year actually gave me it, it opened up a lot of doors for me in terms of what I should have been thinking about writing because I went in there thinking I'm not going to write about being Chinese I'm not going to write about 
um, being gay. I just didn't want that. Well, Chinese, because it was too obvious, I didn't want to be pigeonholed as a Chinese writer mm. gay because I was still scared of telling people that You're I was. Still in the I was still in the closet and, yeah. you know, very um, aware that I could potentially write about it in, you know, very coded writing, but mm. I didn't want to sort mm -hmm. of um, put that out there. I was still very scared. Um, so, you know, so I, I think I remember submitting my application for that class and saying, I'm going to write a series of poems about, you know, going out in Wellington and being mm. a young person. Mm. Um, but then, you know, I did a few exercises where I kind of actually did fall into writing about my great-grandfather and, and um, how he came to New Zealand and all that sort of stuff. And then um, that was the stuff that got the best response. And eventually I realised, oh, if I don't write about this, no one else is going to write about it. And this is actually something that's missing from New Zealand's literature. Mm. Um, the only other Chinese New Zealand poet that I was aware of at the time was Alison Wong, mm. and um, her book wasn't even out at that point. So I kind of thought, okay, maybe this is something I should explore. So that year kind of woke me up in terms of like, you know, you don't have to write about this um, exclusively, but mm. you should yeah. not close it off from, you know, the options. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably the most important thing that's actually happened. Yeah, um, yeah. From that year. So, yeah, so the seeds basically mm. are sown for the first book, even though it doesn't come out for, but in a way, uh, yeah. the seeds yep. sort of, you know, so you go off and what, work, and work a normal job, Yep. and what does your writing process become like? Like, how, where does, how on the back burner is it, or, it, or do you... It was very sporadic, and yeah. then there was a year where I wrote um, for the Capital Times, I did mm -hmm. a television column. And in that year, I wrote no poems. Mm -hmm. I it, my all, you had a weekly deadline. Yeah, I had a weekly deadline, yeah. and all of my writing effort was just pushed in that direction. Yeah. Um, and did I you enjoy I, doing that? I did enjoy doing yeah. that. It was it was really good to have a regular deadline, and it was yeah. also getting me to write something that was not in my comfort zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which has helped me a lot since then. Yeah. And yeah, you got to learn the rules to break the rules. Yeah. Right? So I could imagine. I always feel like I mean it's journalism's obviously a, a tricky thing to talk about now because it doesn't exist in the in the shape that it used to in yep. many ways uh, for people but I, I do think for poetry it's probably really good for poets to go off and do and and often they do or yep. journalists try their hand at poetry and stuff but you can see that more formal writing yep. helps people break out of it and, yeah 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 and draw those lines yeah, in the yeah, sand and, yeah yeah I, and I think and TV writing is really hard too. Oh god, yeah. Really hard, you know? I, it's really I had to hard. watch so much TV. Yeah. And I, I was like, oh, I've got to sit down and watch the show, and so I can write about it. But also, you know, like there's that thing, and you know, again, this has changed a bit now. But there used to be that thing that, like, being a film critic or a theatre critic or a, or a music critic or whatever, um, or, or a wine writer, um, there a lot of times people will actually go, and I think this is part of the tension that people have with critics. But people will actually go okay, that person's obviously a sort of an expert in that area. But in TV, everyone's a fucking... Yeah, you know, jokes on him, I wasn't an expert. Yeah, t but TV, everyone feel can feel comfortable yeah. saying they're an expert if they sit and watch TV, because that's sort of all it requires. Yeah, yeah. You know, being, being knowledgeable about music can require more than just listening to it. Yep. That's a great way to start getting knowledgeable. But do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I've always thought TV writing is, is hard from that point of view because because everyone can hone in on what you're trying to do yeah. uh, you know they're 
you know, yes, there's obviously there's history and there's links and, and, and insight and analysis, but essentially all you need to bring to the table to understand TV writing is to have seen the show. Seen the show. <laughs> and then you can you can totally, you know, argue that the person doesn't know what they're talking about yeah. because, <laughs> because your opinion on the show was not reflected. Yeah, so yeah. I, I reckon it's really fucking hard. Yeah. 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 And I think I, I probably had a... Um, I probably needed a couple of years after the course to just decompress from that mm. from that pressure of having to produce something and also mm. you know collect my thoughts and mm. it was you know that year off writing poetry was really good because mm. um, then I thought okay I need to tidy up you know whatever I had available and send it start sending it off to publishers and that's sort of how I started getting um, traction with AUP mm-hmm. um, you know they sort of saw the they took some interest yeah they took some interest they sort of um, said oh you know this isn't quite ready um, go away and work on it and we'd like to see more and then they sort of suggested the idea of being an AUP notebooks for and so that gave me something to work towards. Now that's a collection where they have what, three yep. writers yep. basically, it's a single volume. It's a single volume, it's a shared collection. Shared yeah. collection. Um, yeah. And it's uh, you know, launched the careers of a number of um, yeah. contemporary poets, so yeah. Anna Jackson, Sonia yep. Yelich, um, Janice Freegard. Um, so yeah, I, I thought, you know, everyone wants to have their own first book mm. but then I thought actually this is actually a really good stepping stone mm. you know it gives me something that I mm. can hold up and say this is what I've achieved mm. and um, after that came out I sort of had to make a decision alright am I going to concentrate on this sort of how to be dead in a year a snake story or am I going to sort of follow this, um, this path where I was wanting to write about music and memory um, and because I'd been sort of dealing with the Joe Kim Yong story for so long, I thought, all right, I need to close that chapter. I need to finish this whatever. Because mm. it, 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 it was a group of poems, and it was a longer set of poems, and it was one really long poem. And I thought, actually, this thing is crying out to be its own book. Mm-hmm. So I got, a, um, I got a mentor, and I spent about a year and a half basically writing this book. Um, mm. And AUP published it, and the rest is history. What, I mean, it it's, strikes me as an incredibly, I don't know, audacious project yeah. to just hand into someone. So how aware of what they were about to see were they before they saw it? They like, they had seen some of it, yeah. so that, because some of it had been in like... Because um, I can't imagine a, yeah. I mean, I, I can imagine a publisher reading it and flipping and going, wow, this needs to exist. But I can also imagine... A lot of people receiving that and going, "What the fuck?" Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and yeah. so, yeah, I was, I was just wondering how much they were in on no, what, they, what they, they were about to. They see. had seen a lot of early yeah. versions, yeah. and um, the the very first readers' report they got for it was not positive. Right. Um, it, my editor was um, a bit heartbroken, and she said, "Well, you know what? Actually, I think I've sent it to someone who." doesn't get what you're trying to do right. so we're yeah. gonna we'll, we'll, you know we'll try again we'll try again yeah. um and i could i was gonna say i yeah. could see how that i feel like well probably both your books but particularly the first one i feel it's you know in, in the right way a very polarizing yep. set of poems because i could imagine someone just going i do not have the facility for this <laughs> i can't decide whether this is quote unquote good writing or not because mm. I can't get purchase on it yeah. but I see that as a real positive because it's that you know it's that thing of like yeah. 
people not liking, you know, Bjork's third album. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's not a good doesn't yeah. mean it's not a good album, but yeah. you can totally see how as as blown away by that album as you are, I bet you can see how that record is not for turn off other a people. lot of people. Yeah. And that's part of what makes that record so fucking magic, right? Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and Otherwise, that's... we all become Coldplay, you know, like, <laughs> you know, or Ed Sheeran, or what, you know, whatever. And you know, when you start doing stuff that you're trying to have the broadest appeal, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I, I, I guess I didn't really, I wasn't running it for a particular audience, and I didn't really have any um, grand ambition of what I wanted this book to do mm. out there. I just wanted to tell the story and just put it out there, and just mm. hopefully, you know, find readers that would be interested in it um mm. and that's kind of what i've also done with um the, the, the new book but i guess with this new book i wanted it to exist in a space where it would speak to people who went through similar things that i did because there wasn't a book like this mm. um for me when i was you know um a young gay man trying mm. to work out what is it that mm. you know i am and who am i and where do i fit into this whole world mm. um so f- i guess with he's so mask i really was trying to um, create something that um, would contribute, mm. you know, mm. back into the world. And the the books, I know, you know, you said you, it's a bit of a mishmash as to when poems arrived between the two books. There's, there's some crossover there. Yep. But the books have arrived in the right order in the only order that they could have written, uh, you know, could have arrived yeah. in, I think. It's right? it's funny, though, because I, I think Hiso Mask, though, is a traditional first book right and that yeah, this, is, yeah. this is the author you know mm-hmm. revealing mm-hmm. himself to the world this is mm-hmm. where he's come from this is yes but you couldn't do that i couldn't that's do what, that that's what i mean yeah, like you, yeah. your first book had to happen yep. before this before this one could yeah. I, get, I get exactly what you're saying yeah. but you for whatever reason or reasons weren't prepared to or weren't able wouldn't have been able to yeah. do that but this first book has enabled um, second Co- book courtney cena meredith um, said something um, Robert Sullivan quoted someone else I think maybe that your second book is actually the book where you stand up and actually say the things you want to say mm. um, because you've sort of cleared you've got pe- your throat and because yeah. you've got yeah you've got people's attention yeah. hopefully you know yeah. you've, you've generated some readers or some fans or whatever the thing is for the medium yep yeah you've you've made your and you know but it's also that thing of you know, uh, it's attributed to a few people, but I think it was Elvis Costello that, you know, you've got your whole life to write your first album. Yeah. And then they want the second one in 14 months or whatever. Yeah. So there's that too, pressure-wise. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But yeah, but again, you, these things, you're already working on your second book. Yeah. Yeah. So the, all, all those poems that I was mm. writing at the same time as Snakes were just sat in a little pile. Mm. Um, the, I'll I mean, come back to you later. Yeah, I'll come yeah. back to you later. You will be something. Mm-hmm. And I, I really did think when I started putting it together, I really did think I was going to be writing a, a very music-focused mm. book about memory and shared experience. Because mm. I think I was also still wanting to remove myself from the writing. Mm-hmm. But then, as I started writing more and more, it became apparent. Like actually, I keep appearing in a lot of these poems and. I think it's time that I do just mm, reveal put myself, myself out there and, and yeah. just write about my own yeah. experiences. Um, so it kind of morphed in that respect to become what it is now. Well, um, I'm just trying to work out how we, how we talk about this uh, from here. So 
because oh, I want I want to get you to read something from snakes, but also, you know, he's so mask is is like a kind of second coming out for you. Yep. In a way. Yep. So what I want to get to, I guess, is you know you've referenced it, but I, I feel like we need to talk about the first coming out, <laughs> the actual your actual coming out because yeah. you talked about being in the closet. Yeah. So. I, I a lot of my friends knew. Yeah. You know, I told my friends because you didn't you always, announce it, but you told people. Yeah, you told people. You cared about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that um, knew you. And I started working on this play with. Um, I uh, got Andy, um, who was in a long-term relationship with um, uh, a guy called Pete, and they became very good friends. Um, and I guess they kind of became like my guardian angels in, a res- in some respect. And, and, and they knew that I was gay, and they sort of took me under their wing. I mean, they're the same age as me. It's mm-hmm. not, I'm not talking like an older yeah, yeah, gay couple yeah. or anything like that. But it's, it's suddenly I, I, I kind of felt like here's, here's um, two people who aren't pushing me into doing gay things, you know, mm-hmm. or trying to live my life, mm. life openly um, as, as they do in some respects, but sort of just showing me like, hey, you know, do you want to come to Mardi Gras? Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, sure, let's let's give this a go. And it's actually at Mardi Gras in Sydney where I sort of thought, oh, this is... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is different. Yeah. Um, not that I really wanted to be, you know, as out and proud as, as what I was seeing in Sydney, but it sort of, it really did start those sort of wheels turning in my head yeah yeah and i don't i don't know what it was that kicked it all off but yeah i came home from that trip and i told my brother you know why i was in sydney and he was like well i've known for so long yeah, anyway yeah, was, <laughs> but thank yeah. you for finally saying yeah it yeah 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 and over the course of that year um i just started being a bit more open about telling other people mm. and i I just got really, really drunk one night at Matterhorn (laughs) Mm. um, and then went home and told my parents. Um, And it was a very strange weekend. Yeah. Um, Now, they did not have the um, reply that your brother did. They didn't go, oh, yeah, we... So it was news to them. Well, it wasn't news to mum because I had actually told mum a few years before, but then we never talked about it again. Right. Um, For dad, it was all new. Um, and, and a shock. And a shock. Yeah. Um, and we've not talked about it since. And I don't right. have any um, anger about that. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they know. Yeah. I'm pretty lucky that they do know because I do have friends who haven't been able to tell mm-hmm. their parents and are living, you know, two lives in some respects. Um, and I know that when it's time, we will have that conversation. But it hasn't. I mean, it's obviously created a uh, a roadblock and conversationally, but it hasn't st- in, in one area. But it hasn't stilted your communication. No, not farther. at all. No, yeah, not yeah. at all. You understand. No. Yep. Where he's at with it. Yep. Yep. And he has the knowledge that you've wanted to. Yeah, exactly. Give to him, and, and so now you just let him yeah. process that. I've had so much yeah. time to process it myself, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I know that it can't be something that either of them just get straight away or accept straight away. Like they mm. have to mm. um, work out what it means to them, you know, and they still love me and they still yeah. support me. And, um, you know, they come to the book launches and they're very proud. Yeah. So that, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a fact. Yeah. Um, and one day, you know, we do have that really open conversation. Mm, mm, um, mm. I have been having 
more discussions with my mum about it since mm. the book's come out. Like mm. she's read the book and um, yeah, I was just going to ask. Yeah. I mean, and the the second book. I mean, you know, <laughs> we'll get further into that. And but uh, you couldn't read that book and not and know. Not know. <laughs> yeah. You couldn't read that book and not and have and you couldn't read that book and choose to have your head in the sand if no. that's where you no. wanted your head to be. You, Definitely it would, not. It would put your head yeah. out of the sand, right? So yeah. I was counting on the fact that she wouldn't read it and right. I wouldn't have to right. deal with it. So she just you didn't say, Here's my new book, read no. it. You, yeah. She went and found it. She she, <laughs> she read it, um, and she said to me that she was a bit shocked at what I had chosen to reveal. Right. Um, she also said that she felt like she'd let me down. Um, right. by not yeah, being there and yeah. not knowing that I had gone through that stuff and I was like it's okay you know it's I had support well, like, from other areas and it's it is a part of it you know? it strikes me that that's um, quite an incredible um, uh, strength on her part and 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 display of support that she went and sorted out yeah and yeah. then talked to you about it yeah and then revealed you know gosh I have some guilt around some of this yep. that's you yep. know like that's that's that shows uh quite quite something quite powerful yeah I and i didn't want her to feel guilty you know no. I, I wanted her to know that no i'm okay and i'm happy now mm. um and that yes it was tough but you know everyone has to work through it in their mm. own way um and we've talked about it a lot and you know she her fear is that people will use this against me mm. and that people will judge me mm. um and I just tell her, look, if people have a problem with this stuff, it's not my issue, it's them, you know? Well, you're almost writing, in a way, judge me with an exclamation mark. <laughs> you're, not, you're not writing it with a question mark. No. You know, if you, if you are writing that, yeah. you're basically saying, fuck, here it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, which, you know, is, is, is one of the things that I found so um, impactful about about those poems. Yeah. And... Um, uh, you know, the only reason I'm sort of, you know, I, I know that you're fully comfortable talking about this, but the reason I'm sort of exploring this, I guess, is for anyone listening, I mean, you know, this really all informs the work. Yeah. You know, it's, yes. and uh, I, f I feel like you're, um, the other thing you do in this book is you're both kind of celebrating and poking fun at the role of, the character of the writer. Oh, totally. Yeah. You know, you're you're uh, being very playful with that, but but a big part of it is actually celebrating the idea of the poet and yeah. being the poet, and the poet being you and you being the poet, and shades of truth being in there. Yeah. You know, and you're having a lot of fun with that. That's very clear. But a lot of it's stuff you mean, and then a lot of it is stuff that you're basically and I, taking the piss. And that's how I've sort of, I guess, protected myself mm -hmm. in some way to, you know, putting mm. this stuff out there that mm. is really personal and, and um, like my best friend who I've known since I was five, so 30 odd years, mm. you know, he read it and he was like, man, I didn't know a lot of this stuff was right. going on in your head or yeah. that, that had happened to you. And, and you know, he said, you know, I, I'm, I, was, I was just surprised. <laughs> I was like, well, there's a lot of stuff that... Um, I've never wanted to tell people, mm. not because of, you know, I was ashamed of it, but I just felt I don't need to burden mm, people with mm. it. Um, and because I've written about a lot of other people prior to this book, you know, mm. I, I, I did still want to explore that idea of being a character, mm. putting on masks, um, putting on shields to be able to face the world and um, in some way be who you are mm, um, mm. without fear and 
retribution. Mm. Um, you do sometimes need that shield and that mask. I was thinking, reading it, I mean, you know, I met you once fleetingly. I was aware of who you were in your work, and I knew what I was about to be reading, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But I, I read it thinking, uh, I kept thinking at various points, like, yeah, you've really contributed to the culture in that this could be a, um, what am I trying to say, like a a support, a handbook for someone else. You know, this yep. could be a real sort of like, you know, this could could trigger a handful of conversations yep. like the ones, you, you know, you've had with people, yeah. like your parents and also people coming to you and going, wow, I didn't know about. Yeah. So someone, so, it's, you know, a, a young or old person reading that, that doesn't, it doesn't even necessarily need to be about closeted sexuality, mm-hmm. just about things in your life that have been hugely personally impactful that you've felt you've had to hide from someone Uh, you could read this a person could read this and go fuck here's someone you know conducting their own therapy session or something yeah 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 yeah. i i i have i am a bit uneasy with like the term universal experience yes um like there are there are things yeah. that everyone, like whether you're coming out or dealing with something, well, you know, those points yeah. that you'll hit. But, you know, I, I've never wanted to be like the voice of my generation, no. or, you know, speaking yeah, yeah. on behalf of the Chinese community or yeah. the gay community. Like, yeah. uh, this is this is who I am and this is what I've been through. You mm. may mm. see some of yourself in this. Mm-hmm. You may identify with these things that I've also been through. And I hope that maybe that makes you feel a little less alone or a bit more understood and heard and, and for, seen. And that's one of our responsibilities, I think, as a reader, is to to try to locate yep. ourselves within a text or, or what speaks to us. Yep, yeah. You know, um, and uh, but are you thinking, like, uh, is there a pressure now around, like, a third volume that, you know, what what is the issue that the third volume deals with kind of thing? Or? I, so I've, I've said to people that I don't think I'll write a personal book yeah. probably for another good yeah. 10 odd years I, yeah. you know I'm going to go and do a bit more living and yeah. see where that takes me I and the music idea that really comes out in various bits in this yeah. book is that something that you'll you think you that, that could still be a standalone thing I think it could thing? still be a standalone yeah. thing or I might um, investigate that through another form like maybe mm. essays or something mm-hmm. I do have an idea for a third book and I've sort of applied for funding and I had to write a proposal mm. um, whether or not it actually stays that we'll see mm. um, but I'm uh, so this is I'm you know I'm at a point where I actually have a blank slate to work mm. with mm. Um, I don't I have poems that I've written since finishing yeah. SO Mask I don't think they are enough to sort of reveal what a third book might be mm. um, so I'm actually you know, equal parts excited and terrified about right. what's going to happen because I've yeah. been in this position yeah. um, before, like uh, probably not since I started the MA, mm. where I do have nothing. <laughs> but you, you know, and here's a really valuable thing, I think, and you know, you've already spoken to this a bit, but you, you know, tomorrow you have a job that you can get up and yep. go and do. Yeah. And that's its own reward yeah. In, yeah. in many ways. And, uh, you know, I think one of the important things people in maybe maybe New Zealand in particular perhaps, you know, need to get their heads around is that it's a really it's a requirement for most people yep. making whatever version yep. of creativity and art 
to have a fucking job yeah. <laughs> because it's, you know the terror that you are suggesting is there yeah. in terms of you know hitting a block yeah you know imagine if you didn't have a paycheck yeah imagine if you had to you know you know sit in front of the computer tomorrow and, and your life depended on your livelihood depended on you coming up with a fucking idea for the third <laughs> that's horrifying yeah. so you do have that up yeah. your sleeve and, and I, there's yeah. no pressure for me that's to, what I mean you can take yeah, a year I could take a year off I mean obviously writing is a it's a muscle and I yep. think you know you need to keep match fit with these things obviously yeah. but you know yeah you could take a year off yeah. and you, you don't have a pressure around no. that I'm yeah. just really enjoying reading a lot at the moment. Yeah. And just, um, just teasing out things that you know I've, I've had scribbled down for a while and think, oh yeah, you know I remember that idea. Let's see what happens with this now, without sort of the pressure of it being a book or mm. whatever. Mm. Um, so that's quite exciting. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about um, the full sort of scope of um, how to be dead in a year of snakes? Maybe. Mm maybe either prefacing that with reading something or okay. just explain a little bit more about it and then read something because as I said this is a I mean uh, this is a book I I'm glad I didn't try and review because it be, <laughs> because because you people need to experience it yep. and I I you know you could you can't really give away usually plot spoilers with poetry but yeah. I feel like I mean I don't know how this book was received in terms of reviews but I would imagine it'd be a tricky book to review um, it got it, I was really lucky that it got um, really really great reviews yeah. um, the only sort of bad review it got was from an Australian reviewer right. who said oh there's not enough of the um, Lionel Terry guy in it <laughs> I was like that was the fucking point yeah 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 because <laughs> I read this I was gonna, another thing I wanted to say before you talk more about it is uh, you know, we, we I, I read this. I always love finding things like you know we were talking before we started recording about the last two PJ Harvey albums mm. being like books. Yeah. And I, when I read this book of your poems, I thought this is like a podcast. You know, <laughs> I could imagine. You know, it's like the sort of story someone would turn into a podcast. But well, I I want to do like a proper audio book recording. Yeah, of this, that's, and that's like maybe. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> down, down the, the line. track. Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm, you know, yeah. it's crying out for that sort of treatment. Yep. I mean, it obviously works as a volume of poetry, yeah. but I don't imagine. I, well, I know I've never had that experience before, where I've read a book of poems and gone, "That should be a podcast." Yeah, yeah. But that's what I thought of that. I, yeah, I, like I really like reading from this book. It is a hard book to read from because yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, I have yeah. to pick poems that sort yeah. of make sense on their own, but will but, still work together. And yeah, yeah, don't yeah. Get lost. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, yeah, so this is a book that revisits a murder that took place in Wellington in 1905. Um, a man called Joe Kim Yong was shot dead in Haining Street by a man called Lionel Terry. Lionel Terry was a very well-known racist at the time who had very, um, who was very vocal about his anti-Chinese views and he basically went to Haining Street one night and just shot the first Chinese person he saw. Yeah. And Joe Kim Yong has always been an afterthought to Lionel Terry's story. So whenever I was doing research on Joe Kim Yong, it always just came back to Lionel Terry he was like right. a footnote yeah. so I wanted to write a book that sort of reclaimed him and did his the voice opposite. Yeah, did the yeah. opposite um, and sort of interrogate um, you know our our role in remembering history um, mm. because the you know the Chinese community didn't really want to talk about it because they don't like to dwell on the past mm. um, so you know what we've got of that period in terms of the records of this are very 
scan. You know, it's mostly news reports about mm. Lionel Terry and then like him turning himself in and basically making mm. it all about him. Mm. So I wanted to yeah reclaim Jo Kim Yong um, and give him a voice. And you know, the book itself is also a lot about um, the Chinese um, customs around death. Um, mm. My grandmother passed away sort of when I was finishing this, so I. Uh, had this sort of very um, personal experience sort of doing all the rituals and understanding why we do certain things to make sure that someone is seen you know mm. into the afterworld yeah I wondered you know, if properly I wondered if that um, brought more of you into this book yeah. than you perhaps Ex- planned yeah, yeah exactly so yeah. that so when I think about you know what is my connect personal connection to this book it would be that stuff mm. that sort of then sort of filtered through some of the poems um you know there are three poems in the book which are um sort of in which the author interviews and yeah. interviews Joachim Yong, Lionel Terry and um Light um so they were sort of my attempt to sort of insert myself into but even then that doesn't really mm. come across mm. Yeah. Mm. it's mm. the it's the Chinese funerary death stuff that yep. is the personal stuff yeah strangely yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. So cool. what can you read from there? Um, I will read, I guess this is sort of like the pro, well, it, it's actually several pages into the book, but um, I think it's a good sort of setup. Yeah. 1905, this is the end. The night opens to a scene of death. Gun, blood, peanut shells, a knotted walking stick, and one quiet body. Two guilty feet head in an unknown direction, drowned by the pitter-patter footsteps of those running to help. Another cold Wellington night, wind on a sharp loop. Traces of cordite punctuate the chaos. His stiff clothes refuse to move as they lift his body, like a face caught between photographs, a sick slur, a busy thought. Just enough to make sense, but still framed with questions. Mm. Yeah, it's it's such a you know it's it's such a deep book because it's a standalone volume yep. that you know you need to take your time with. But um, you know sometimes with a book, of, but at the same time I was drawn to following the story in it. You know yep. I kind of kept going. Well, I've got to check back in with it. Whereas yeah. sometimes you have a book of poems and you can leave a bookmark in it for and just dip in and ages, out, yeah. and you can jump around in that. Yeah. But You've arranged these in this order of oh, a story God, you order. want to tell. And I, I, imagine, I was going to say, I almost imagine ordering it would have been a job almost it, as big as actually physically writing it yeah, in, there, we, in terms we, of structuring this we, book. There's so many versions. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. well, you've already indicated a bit of that. And yeah. I imagine when you finally arrive on the what's going to be included, yep. yeah, then shaping it is another whole ordeal. Yeah, the... the, the I, I, like, I love the ordering process mm. I think that's always also come back to like my love of making mixtapes and playing yeah and yeah like or, or, or appreciating a really great album Se- and the, the sequence yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah sequence um, yeah. but something like this was very hard because even though there is that sort of um, there is the narrative you know mm. murder after math um, but you know a lot of the, a lot of it actually takes place in this imagined um, limbo where Jo Kim Yong sort of was existing and because he wasn't buried you know, in his actual home, he was mm. buried in New Zealand, and then they eventually um, took his bones back to, to Hong Kong, where he was buried. Mm. Um, so it has this sort of weird, I guess, 
Lynchian feel to it, where you know it's 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 a, it's very imagined and mm. it's not tangible. Mm. So it was really hard to try and fit that into it, and yet still keep people um, engaged mm. in it. Mm. Yeah, when all of the real world stuff, you know, finishes quite early on in the book. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah, and um, you, so so you, the readers report thing. So you 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 find out about that at the time. Yeah, yeah. So the editor yeah. comes to you and says, "Well, it's not the best news." Yeah. Well, you send it out, and the person is not convinced by it. Yeah. Or however they phrase it, but I essentially think that's the. She, I think she said, you know, you're big enough and ugly enough to be able <laughs> to, to deal with this criticism. Yeah. And I, I can't even remember what was in the report. Yeah. I mean, but I sort of realized, like, okay, well, this is an interesting take on it. Um, Some valid stuff in there. Yeah, I think what I ended up doing was actually ripping it apart and reordering it mm. I think um, I think the, the issue was the ordering yeah. it just, it just it wasn't enough to sustain this particular reader's interest so then she sends it out to another reader yep and, it, and that comes back completely different that yep, reader's completely report. different but you've already reshaped it a bit I, re- I yeah. have reshaped it a bit yeah. I don't think I really did yeah. that much rewriting right yeah um, yeah. but then again you know people just respond to things differently yeah yeah yeah, yeah they bring different baggage to it yeah, well, I, again, I, you know, my comment about this being it's a sort of polarising book, it, you know, uh, I would have thought that actually it might have got sent out to two readers in the first place. Mm. You could almost imagine that, yeah. like, and split the difference between yeah. reports because, yeah. you know, this is not poetry that everyone's familiar with yeah. in, in that sense. You know, yeah. it's not a style yeah. of... Obviously, people who read lots of poetry, sure, but, you know within that yeah. people that like a particular thing with poetry yeah 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 um so do you want to read the um the one from the new book where you're in a band because <laughs> i fe- i feel like that's <laughs> a pretty good jump yeah to something completely different completely and then, and different. yeah yeah yep. yeah okay chris Tees and his imaginary band We were brighter when the world didn't know about us or our rock and roll dreams. Now we dress in black, but we're not depressed, we're just backlit per record label instructions. Fans come and go, but true fans stick with you through the stigma of rib removal and that feud with Jim and the holograms. Nobody can win. Nowadays, the world is made of oysters and everyone's had a taste. Can I just say that I think I've done too many drugs? Or maybe it's gout? The bloggers won't stop reading into our matching tattoos. Yes, they're of each other's wives, but what's that got to do with the music? Everyone has forgotten we're an imaginary band. A suggested path back to relevancy. Nip slip, rehab ten trip, a greatest hits. It'll take an untimely death to seal our legend. No veins for overdose, no doomed flight. Buried by a mountain of french fries. That's how I want us all to go. So that's um, instantly different. <laughs> it's very different. <laughs> and one of the things I was really worried about when I submitted um, the manuscript for this new book to AEP was that they were like, fuck, what have you done? You know, you've yeah. written this great book about, you know, a piece of Chinese Actual history. history. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's very somber and very sort of yeah. measured. And now you're, you know, writing about Jim and the holograms and dick jokes and things like that. <laughs> well, well, you know, it's a, a great way of... Um, Announcing that you're no 
one trick pony yep, in terms yeah. of what you're doing, right? Yeah. Like it's a, it's a whole lot more than that. But put simply, it's that. Yeah. And I I would imagine with uh you know obviously with poetry, that would be that could be, it's that that's where poetry is a lot like I think, songwriting and putting out albums and that you can get typecast as yeah. a p- person who does a particular thing, yeah. whereas you you know novels usually have the plot to pull them along yep. so that your writing might be recognisably the same writer and hopefully it but is the core of it's different. but you're telling a different story yeah. each time now that's not always the case with poetry no. because uh, you know and some of the best poets that I like are ones that actually kind of repeat themselves you yeah. know because that's what you look you know, <laughs> and there's, there's, there's a comfort there's, in, there's there. a comfort in yeah. it and there's a familiarity to the style that you're happy that you're happy with and that they obviously are but at the same time you want something to distinguish the yeah. the volumes. Yeah. 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 And I you know, I had I've been reading from Snakes, um, you know, to mm. promote the book and mm. I, I love that book and I'm very proud of it. But you know, sometimes when you read from it like this sort of ten minute reading about yeah. a hate crime yeah. and racism and murder <laughs> yeah. and like the audience is getting it and they're enjoying it, but mm. you still think, God, I've just left you on this massive yeah, downer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wanted to write stuff that was fun to perform. Yeah, and but bite-sized Yeah, too. a bit more bite-sized as and, well. And yeah. yeah, as you say, like, you know, the the first book, uh, yeah, probably doesn't excerpt that well no. overall. Yeah. You know, you've, there are pieces that you know that work. Um, but the second book, highly... Oh, totally. Extractable, you yeah. know, like lots yeah. of things to to pick from. Yeah. Pretty much anything in it, I imagine, is is publicly readable. It's, yeah, some. I'm sorry. I was going to say there'd be, there's probably some that you, where you know you would have your version of your mother's response yeah. to it when you go. Oh, you know, the, uh, it's like a third coming out. Yeah. Actually, re- <laughs> publicly reading some of these things, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. So there's there's some that I've not read and um, in fact one of the, one of the ones that I never thought I would read was a poem called Release, um, which was a very sort of I guess I say it's a selfish poem because I really did write it for myself and kept mm. it in the book for myself. Mm. But not long after the book came out, you know, I had a number of people actually message me or tell me in person like that's the poem that they connected with the most. Right. That's the poem that made them cry and that they just kept returning to. So I thought, okay, maybe I can read this without breaking down in public. Yeah. Um, so I have read it um, in public before, uh, public now, um, and it, yeah, it gets a good response. Yeah. Um, and it, and it's strange because it is a very personal poem to me, um, but to hear that other people really get it and connect with it is, is I guess, why I do this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Do you want to read it now? I can read it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I've said this before to, to people that I've, I've said it every time I've had someone in here reading poems, but it's, I don't know what it's like for you. It's such a, a brilliant but strange experience. I'm, you're basically giving me a poetry a personal reading. reading. <laughs> a personal reading. And I'm sitting here going, I won't interrupt, I won't clap at the end because <laughs> that would be strange to hear one person clapping. But, you know, presumably people are going to listen to this podcast, so that's who you're actually reading it for, but yes. your audience doesn't technically doesn't exist. My invisible audience. It's, yeah, so your imaginary audience for your imaginary yeah. band, it's, it's yeah, it's just quite a... a and, and one time, um, Jeffrey Pepper or Holman was here, and he yeah. was reading, and Katie usually knows to disappear when podcasts are on and, and very nicely she 
knows to, to when I'm doing it, obviously. And she came back in the middle of it, and that was fine. But she said when he left, she was like, you know, how cool to walk into your own house and hear poetry being wow, read. You yeah. know? And I was like, that's a great response too. Like, yeah. And she was like, yeah. actually, she was like, it was really lovely to walk in on a Saturday afternoon and hear... Just through the house. And, yeah, so, yeah. So it's quite, it's quite cool. So now you have to read this one. Okay. Release. Not before I stir you from your sleep and ask whether this is the last time I'll see you before you hop that plane for Sydney. We'll hold each other cheek to cheek when we both hear the answer. Not before you slip on your trousers, hunt for your wallet and down a glass of water. The city slept in your eyes last night. Traces of its troubles linger in your morning sigh. You'll be groggy, but gorgeous. Your unkempt beard diligently framing this gentle smile of a boy borrowed from the stars. You make it so hard, you know, this letting go. But not before we embrace, kiss deeply in my bedroom, the kitchen, and twice on the street outside my apartment building. Before you, I had neither the chance nor the courage to kiss a guy in public. In the Botanic Gardens just weeks earlier, meters from an audience, you asked, Can I steal a kiss while you being spied on? I told you I didn't care who might be watching. On this particular morning, the construction site across the road will be all steel and no music. The sky will mock us with its clarity. And not before a day of blank expressions, stumbling through the mediocrity of PowerPoint and strategic objectives, returning home to duvet, sheets and pillows, hastily abandoned and finally finding the time to cry. Not before I gather up and wash the bedding, but not the pillowcases. They'll still hold your scent for a few hours more. Later that night, I will pull the pillows close and cry again, embarrassed at my reaction to the expanse of bed left to me. The heart is heaviest when it is empty, when a lover has removed himself from every fold and corner. And not before I lose half a day, rewriting an email a dozen times over before trashing it, then waiting for a text or a call from you to say you've changed your mind, you'll stay in this faraway city of mine, with your unnecessary hiking boots. I'll put aside my aversion to camping and together we could find a time and place for them. But my city isn't chaotic enough for you and I will always hate dirt and camping. There are adventures for you to collect on other full moon nights and you have your life to write elsewhere. The books by my bed will still tell me beautiful lies and every passing song will fill my head with the empty spaces of you, even the dance songs, especially the dance songs. And then there is the song you have taken from me, replaced with poems that mean nothing to anyone else. I try to sing every syllable of your name, to fill the room once again with what was always temporary. But yours is a name I cannot release. To do so, would fool me into thinking you're still within reach. Mm. And there's a bit in that when you read it, I mean, it's always so great hearing poets read their own work, obviously, but you know, but but there's a bit in that, the bit that you, we talk about trashing the email yep. and waiting for the text. Uh, you know, you've already articulated this better than I, than I will, but that's a great example of, 
what you were saying about not trying to create a universal experience but something that's probably relatable to people. To people I, rem- yeah. I remember reading that going, you know, not necessarily triggering a particular thing for me but just reading it and, and making that observation of like, wow, this is this is one of those examples yeah. of how much lot you know people were probably going to take from this book yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and it, that just came back to me straight away hearing you read that yeah yeah so now you you know and you know you're a, I've, I've never seen you do a reading before but i have uh obviously followed that you've done plenty of them mm. um it's obviously something you enjoy yeah uh yeah. You, you know not every poet is comfortable with public reading some poets just right and they are you know they know that that's what they're good at and they're not good as I say even then it's interesting hearing a poet you know even if they're not a a great reader public reader it's very interesting hearing a poem in their actual voice yeah but um what is it about it for you that's obviously you've you've had this background of doing theatre and stuff obviously that helps but what you know what when did you first get up and read a poem and when did you first if not then when did you first go yeah I can do this again I think the first time I ever read uh, like a poem out in public was at the Angus Inn in Lower Hutt. Um they had a yeah. I think it was a monthly um, sort of open mic night yeah. with like, like a guest poet that followed um, so that was the first time I started sort of sharing poems mm. publicly with strangers mm-hmm. um, and I think, and that had quite a dedicated crowd, right? That, yeah. That joint. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I only went to it once, and I, but it was, I went because I think it was there that I went, and they had Honey Tufari as the guest, wow. and that's you know that's why we went, but yeah. we went early enough to watch the open mic. But yeah. it was, and and that's quite a regular format that poetry open mics where they have a monthly big, yeah. big name or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's that that was quite a well. It's a very well established, established yeah, attended, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and I, you know, reading poems in a noisy pub where yeah. half the people aren't even listening yeah, to yeah, is a yeah. is good training ground mm-hmm. to just um, mm-hmm. get over nerves and and just yeah. just do it. Um, yeah. So I do enjoy reading it. I do enjoy reading poetry um, because I, I I feel that that's another level with which people can connect with it because um, a lot of people just get turned off trying to grapple with poetry on the page mm. um, and sometimes like you've said you know when you hear a poet reading it in their voice it does sort of reveal things that you don't mm. often you know see on or, the page or, or confirm or, things yeah you know affirm yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah I especially love re- listening to poets read um, if they have very unconventional line breaks mm. um, and the way mm. they present their poems on the page is sort of requires a lot of um, helps you understand helps it, you understand like, it and you think oh yeah. that's what they were doing with that yeah yeah um and I, yeah i love listening to people read i think it's yeah it's always a um it's a it's a privilege to be able to hear yeah um people read their work you know I, and yeah. i, I kind of get the same feeling when i go and see my favorite artists perform live mm. you know you, mm. you have the record mm. um that you can return to all the yes. time that you become very familiar with yes. but then you go and see them live and it can be completely different and yep. they can throw something in there that you don't yep. expect yeah a little um, musical in joke a yeah. bit of banter or whatever yeah. and even the mistakes uh, can be really amazing yep. you know like a little yeah. you know yeah and you know we talked about the most recent PJ um, Harvey album and yeah. show you know I didn't appreciate that album as much as I do now the show, saw the show took you back to the album yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 and yeah and I'm trying to think of particular examples for me um, but 
I imagine that, yeah, uh, for people that happens heaps with poetry oh, readings. Totally. Sends you back to the, you know. And, you know, I think, like, uh, you know, one of the great examples of is, you know, obviously the, the name everyone knows in New Zealand poetry in terms of performance is Sam Hunt. Yep. But I think over the years he had been quite unfairly written off as as just a performer. Yeah. And reading his work, to me, works very well. I yep. love reading his, you know, not all of them, you know, like obviously after a time off publishing, he's pumped a whole lot of stuff out and yep. I don't know that all of that stuff is, is amazing, but I have several sort of well-thumbed volumes of the early stuff that, yep. I, that I personally think is really great poetry for the page, yep. you know, but yep. obviously he's a great performer. performer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. whenever you read him on the page, you hear... You hear his voice. His voice. Yeah, exactly. You read it in his voice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which some people say that, that annoys them. <laughs> Again, it's like, it's like that, you know, that... that third Bjork record or whatever it is for someone I you know I, I get that yeah. how a person could feel like that yeah. but that's not been the case for me yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah so you've so it kind of gelled for you pretty yeah pretty yeah. quickly it, it, just... I don't like I do I do get nervous yeah. sometimes because um, I, I, I like I was always getting up on stage being in plays and I was yeah. always singing in choirs and in bands and that never really bothered me but it was when I first started reading poems out loud in front of an audience mm. that I was getting nervous because I think there was nothing to hide behind. Totally. You know, I didn't have other actors to protect me. I didn't have a band and, um, you know, yeah, this yeah, musical yeah, yeah. sort of backdrop. To yeah, a lot of people, even, even singer-songwriters who are nervous, they'll say the guitar is a prop. You yep. know, it's, it's something to hide, hide behind. behind. Yeah. And I think, like, poetry, standing up and reading poetry is a... Is yeah, the, almost about as close to being naked as yeah. you can get, really, with yeah. performance. I think, yeah. or a monologue show or something. You know, so it would be the, you know another version of that. I, I've over the years, people have asked me about um, you know what what gives you the right to review people if you've never done it yourself and mm. stuff. That comes up all the time, right? And I've you know I've you know you never want to kind of defend yourself too much, but I but I've said to people, oh well, I you know I've played music here and there and on stages so you know I do kind of know what it's like to yep. get on a stage but and and every now and then I'll also say to people you know I've, I've even stood up and read some poems and it's fucking frightening yeah it's abs you know so I do you know like you know stand-up comedy is the other version of that too for you know going on watching a stand-up comedian yeah. particularly a struggling one which happens during comedy festivals and stuff as hard as it can be to say that they're, they're rubbish uh, but a necessary, you know, there is a part of me that sympathises because I I I I, I I went to open mic, you know, poetry mm. readings like a lot of university students and just out of university people do that are interested in writing and yeah. I went from just watching to going, oh, I'll get up and do it and I even did, you know, a few like kind of, uh, I don't know what you'd call them, like kind of events where I mm. was the person reading with maybe one or two others. It wasn't yeah. an open mic thing. It was actually a, you know, like it was like a, a show. A, yeah, yeah, it was a show that we were putting on or yeah. whatever. And it's fucking terrible. You know, and I think, God, I don't think I could do that now. It's terrible. <laughs> you know, I really don't think, I, I don't mind standing up and speaking to people at things, but I don't know that I'd get up and, I don't. Well, I'd, I think it's because I don't really have any, you know, you've got to have, you've got to have a, a, a faith in what you're reading, right? Yep. You've got to actually yep. believe it. Believe in it. And yeah. I don't think I, I, I certainly don't believe in the 
you know, it's a bit like you're discussing your folio. <laughs> I don't. I would never read now yep. the stuff that I read then. Obviously, yeah. I don't believe in that. So yeah, yeah it's that. Yeah. yeah, but it's frightening. Yeah, you know, I no, can totally, totally, I can totally, I can speak with some, you know, authority to at least to 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 what that can feel like. Yes. And and it's that thing, and I guess it's the same with you know comedy and stuff, and well bands too. But it's that thing that you know, and I don't know if you've got this experience, but you can have a fucking shocker out of nowhere after after going really well. So you're filled with a kind of. A f- almost a false confidence, yeah. you know, it fluctuates every, that, and that'll be why, you know, you say you you can always be a bit nervous about yeah. it because yeah. you, you you do not know how it's quite going to go. Yeah. And your staff, I mean anyone, not yours personally, your staff as, as, a, as a performer or re- reader or writer is going to sit differently with every yeah. single it person. So it just doesn't, yeah, you yeah. might you might have nailed it, yeah. but your audience is a dead duck. Yeah. Or you might have fucked it up. I, yeah, yeah, I always get very nervous when it's an unknown sort of audience. Mm. Um, mm. If, like, I, I you know I've read. Like a book uh, launch is safe. Yeah, a book a launch is safe. Um, like, reading at Lit Crawl is always going to be yeah. safe because yeah. you know it's going to be an a audience really full of people that have come audience. out to see, yeah. particularly to um, see that stuff. But I've done small readings in, in places where mm. I just have no idea what sort of people are going to turn up and then I turn up it's like oh okay these are mostly people in their 60s and 70s yes. what the hell am I going to yeah, read yeah yeah and um, then you know I've also <laughs> learned that it doesn't matter what you doesn't. read yeah, um, yeah, you know, yeah. I've read some of the poems that I, I thought would be like too rude or, or mm. too confusing for them and they love them yeah, you, know, they, yeah. You, you can't underestimate yeah. people and what they're going to actually enjoy yeah yeah I, I, I did um, the National Poetry Day Stuff years ago, mm. I think I think it was um, Montana Poetry Day or whatever, um, and I remember going and reading at the Upper Hut Library on yeah. a Friday morning at nine o'clock <laughs> or something, and I f- had all these poems picked out about like death, yeah, <laughs> for various reasons, all sorts of things to do with deaths and attending funerals and things. And I got there and the audience was basically a retirement home audience. And I kind of did this nervous shuffle of the papers, you know, and if they weren't about death, they were about, you know, getting drunk and saying rude things to people. So then they went back to the back of the pile. And I I had that. So, you know, I was like, fuck, what do I do? And I read the poems about death and a few of them shuffled up in their walking frames and with their walking sticks afterwards and said... Thank you for not treating us like idiots. Yeah, you yeah. know they they lo- like this was an experience they knew very well. They yeah. were seeing people, you know, one day at lunch and then not the next. Yeah. And they and and one woman I remember it was amazing. That's what she said to me. She she was like, yeah, that that's it's great to to hear a younger person's take on take this on because yeah. this is what we live with. And yeah. it was like, wow, fuck off struck that lucky but you know obviously it was stony silence because yeah. I was reading them too so I was just going oh because I'm going to be like whoa yeah no exactly and I was just like I was just like fuck get yeah. me to the finish line you know so that was a nice experience to have to yeah. go well fuck that kind of worked so yeah and I think when you're up up there you are in a bit of a weird bubble mm. you, you know unless it's like clapping and cheering and laughing so often you don't realize that people are connecting with it because i did a i did a reading last week kent and featherston and mm. um i read from snakes and i read from the new book and you know people laughed during the the new stuff mm. um but i thought oh i don't know how 
the snake stuff went down. Yeah. But I had friends in the audience and they're like, no, no, people were like gasping and um, just, you know, you could, mm. you could tell that it had just triggered mm. something in them. Mm. And you, you don't, when you're up there, you don't realize that. Mm-mm. So yeah, you, you sometimes just have to just get out of your head and just, just do it. Just do it. Yeah. yeah. Let it, let, I get, yeah, you're the, you're giving voice to it, but let the work speak for yeah. itself essentially. Yeah. 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 Um, so do you want to talk a bit about, um, again about the music stuff and how mm. I guess how because you, you actually like you, you know you reference a bit of a few musicians in the yep. in the book um, and 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 playing music and stuff and you, you've written music and yep. you've sung and you've you know and all of this sort of stuff you're still composing uh, not as much not as, as I much, used to um, it's something you might do again yeah like, you know yeah. I've got I've got all my gear and yeah. the software so you know if I ever do feel like I want to dive into something I'll go do it well you might score the audiobook for example. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. you know, and 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 a few little Cantonese pop songs yeah. might pop up in there, you know, like or your version of or them. My version yeah, of yeah, yeah. Um I, I I think because I was writing a very personal book, it mm. it only made sense that this love of music mm. made its way into the book because otherwise it would have wouldn't have been me. Um mm. music has always been that um that force that um you know that drives my creativity mm. that, I, that I, I you know I probably spend more time with my earphones in yeah. um, than I do out than without yeah yeah um, I just I, every so, possible moment I will fill my life with music let's go back to 1997 yeah. and you mentioned you know uh, Bjork and Beck Ronger and stuff yeah. and I was I was thinking of saying then like you know obviously it's a problematic term this female singer songwriter and you know people describe it and i know i have people actually use it as if it's a genre but around that time it really kind of was in a a marketing sense but but you know and it's not to say that i mean there's loads of great female singer songwriters ever since but and 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 obviously way before but that there really was because of i guess the success of things like alanis and that it meant that record companies were going Get me a girl. Give me a girl that. with a guitar, yeah. which is how it all starts. But yeah. through that, you get to hear some pretty amazing stuff. Oh, you know, okay. you can be as cynical as you like about yeah. the motivations of, of of an industry behind something, but it often brings some pretty uh, wonderful stuff oh, to yeah. the fore. Yeah. And I was just, you know, when you were talking about that stuff, I was thinking about what I was collecting in 19, 1997 was when I got my first job in a record store yeah. as a student, and you know, it was to me, it was you know. Bjork and Sinead O'Connor mm. and Throwing Muses yeah. and Kristen Hirsch's solo records and PJ Harvey and Tori Amos yeah. and all of these things. And obviously it was, you know, loads of other stuff too. Yeah. But if I think about like 1996 to 98, it was, a, or even to 99, it was a huge... I mean, that, know, was, that was the, that the was, fair... Yeah, yeah, I was just going to yeah. say, and, and that was yeah. only one portion of what was going yeah. on. But that's, yeah. yeah, you know, and that, that, that's been sort of unfairly maligned by some people as... You know, whatever. It's still, still, there was some pretty amazing talent on those yeah. stages at a lot of a lot of those events. I, I applied for a job at Real Groovy, and um, <laughs> and on the form it was like, "What would your specialty be?" Yeah. And I very earnestly put female singer songwriters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was what you were listening <laughs> it was to. It was what I was listening to, and it was like, it was what you know, I really, really loved. Um, you know, in hindsight, I probably would have, should have really thought that, but um, mm. you know, I was always, I've always been drawn to female musicians because I just find the female voice so much more interesting mm-hmm. and and especially you know 
people like Bjork and um, Tori and PJ who who can manipulate their voice and, and mm. just have those sort of yeah they're um, really using the yeah, voice they're as, really an using it as an instrument yeah um, who just is yeah. an angel um, and then yeah people like um, Tanya Donnelly mm. um, like I read a review I can't remember whether it was of the new Belly album or no it was it was a review of Beauty Sleep mm-hmm. um, her second solo album mm. where it really talked about her strength as a singer. Um, and a vocalist and how she can sort of have those really sort of grunty rock mm. moments but then the, just the the folkiness to her voice as well when she sings those acoustic ballads you know she has that range um, mm. so I was always drawn to um, oh, I love vocals. that album Beauty Sleep, Beauty Sleep. Oh, I, she is an artist that I, I think I was that like the early 2000s eh? it, was, it was either 99 or 2000 yeah that was one of the first that was one of the first albums I got to review that you know that I was looking forward to because yeah. you start writing reviews for magazines that you just get given all the shit no one yeah. else wants and and I, so I remember things like that and the Weezer Green album yeah. and there were just moments those were things that I was anticipating yeah. and then oh, I got to write about them and that yeah. was a really big deal but I saw Tanya Donnelly in Wellington that's been when her first solo album oh. came out and at the you know the little James Cabaret, yeah, yeah. fuck it wasn't that was an amazing show. Like just you mentioning her yeah. was one of those tr- triggers where I went, fuck that was a great show. Yeah. And the encore was um, that zo- I don't know if you know that zombie song from the sixties, time of the season. It's great. You probably know if you hear it. It's a great song, and yeah. she did a cover of that, and that was like on the Tour of Duty soundtrack, which yeah. was you know part of my upbringing. Yep. So it was like fuck, I didn't. Know you. <laughs> you know, it's a bit like we were talking before about Tori Amos doing Smells Like Teen Spirit. She does loads of covers, yeah. but yeah. how that made a real impact. This was a bit like one of those moments. Yep. It's just like fuck, that's a great song, and here's a, a, a totally faithful but different version of it yeah. that you were not expecting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, she was great. I mean, she's, she still is great. She's she still is. Great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She sort of sort of dipped in quality for a bit, I think, in the in the mid two thousands, but seems to have really like come back strong and I haven't heard the new Valley record yet but it, it will take you right back to the 90s yeah um, like the Breeders one had yeah. it did yeah yeah I yeah I messaged my friend um, earlier this week I was like I'm listening to the Valley album a lot and I feel 15 again yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's like songs in it that are like man this could have been on a soundtrack for a late 90s right. team right yeah, <laughs> like yeah, rom-com yeah. or something it's yeah, amazing yeah yeah. so what else is it about the, that you know like what I said I probably cut you off when you were talking about What's what sort of spoke to you? Obviously, the 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 voice, the, voice, the way the voice is used and the way it sounds. I lyrically, think, is there something too? I don't you know think if it was musically? lyrically. I just maybe I just didn't want to subscribe to sort of you know notions of masculinity. I was just going to say like you know? cock rock yeah. nonsense. Like um, so, I didn't really seek that stuff out. Um, I just felt an affinity with, mm. with these musicians and what mm. they were um, singing about and writing about. Mm. And they were all sort of, I guess it was the, you know, the, the period, you know, you, you had these women like Shirley Manson fronting a band like Garbage, you mm. know, three middle-aged white guys making yeah, yeah. computer rock music. But yeah, you know, it was it was Shirley that really yeah. brought it all to life yeah. with her character and her voice and yeah. just her presence. Um, and then Portishead yeah. with Beth. Um, you know, not only does she have this stunning voice that will stop you dead in your tracks, there was something about her that just pulled it all together. They could have had a guy fronting that music, and it would have just been like, this is rubbish. Yeah, it totally. Was, it was all. Yeah, her. yeah, that's right. We were just talking about the solo acts, but it was also this era of bands fronted by 
by women, women who yeah who were the dominant yep. even if, even if they weren't like to put it bluntly musically the brains of the operation they were more than just the face of yep. the operation they were the, 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 the artistic voice yep. yeah, yeah 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 so I, I, I just think I, I was just coming of age and my personal tastes were forming at a time when you had these amazing women mm. just mm. out there doing their thing mm. not taking shit for anyone and mm. just basically putting art into the world that was unlike anything mm. that I had been exposed to you know through my friends and mm. through other avenues um, what about Liz Fair was she uh, yeah because I, I was just think we when you were t- we were talking about the Beck Runger 20 because I know the Guyville it's just come out the yeah. anniversary edition of that and the girly sound tapes yeah, yeah. I, I came to Liz a lot later yeah. I, I came to Liz a, oh no actually it would have been around 98, 99 when White Chocolate Space Air came yeah, out yeah. Um, but then I went back and um, discovered uh, Guyville and yeah. fuck that album just yeah. like see she's a bit like Tori up. Amos for me it's the first three albums yeah. gold and then after that you know I have um, such a soft spot though for that <laughs> self-titled album oh, that she did really? with The Matrix. The, the real popular one. The real yeah, popular yeah, one. Like, yeah, there, yeah. Are, there are actually a couple of really great songs. There probably album. are. I, yeah. That's one that I need to go back and actually now have a listen to because yeah. I, I remember having a strong reaction to that at yeah. the time. <laughs> and I wasn't alone. I know yeah. a lot, that and that, you know, but... But I listened to her on that Song Exploder podcast recently talking about Guyville. That's yep. really great. Like, she's brilliant deconstructing oh, the record. Yep. To, and it is, you know, it is a great record. And the and the second album was really good. Yep. Yeah. 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 So Liz was up there. Um, mm. I mean, other artists would have been like Fiona Apple, mm. um, Tanya Donnelly. I loved Jewel. I'll have this, like, I, I like hand the, on heart yeah. love for Jewel for yeah. the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, Heather Nova. Yeah. I, I was thinking about Heather Nova when you were talking before about someone, maybe it was the little affair mentioned, but I was, I was thinking, the, yeah, again, the first two or three records of hers made a really big impact yep. on me. And um, and then she put out this album in the, I want to say about 2003, uh, and I can't remember what it's called, but the backing band is Mercury Rev. Storm. St- I was thinking yep. it was called Storm, and that's a fucking great record. Such a great album. Yeah, yeah, oh my yeah. God, I, I really went into bat for that record. <laughs> yeah. I remember like I was working in a music store, and we just sort of took a giant punt on it and yep. played it non-stop. And I, you know, re- reviewed it and stuff. And I was kind of like, I became that annoying person that was pretty much carrying a copy around, <laughs> giving it to, to people, <laughs> tell people, yeah, take this, try this yeah. for a while. And I, I know, like, it had a pretty good because it was a, a pretty independent sort of release yeah. from her. Yeah, I mean, at, at that yeah. point. She had pretty yeah. much gone yeah. indie. Um, yeah, but that's a great oh, record. Yeah, it's, so, it's got a couple of. Uh, it's all good, but it's got a couple of absolutely those yeah. kind of astonishing I songs. Actually, I um, I think of that album alongside Birds quite a lot. Mm, um, yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah, yeah, just in yeah. terms of like how. Yep. It, it's such a cohesive yes. album tonally yeah. and mood wise. Yeah. 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 Totally. That kind of um, really sort of beautiful melancholy yeah 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 Yeah. she wasn't you know there are catchy songs on it with Mm. hooks but she wasn't going for radio hit yeah totally Um, yeah yeah. if if, if you got one it was by mistake yeah 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 Yeah, fascinating so and so you've kept up with uh music no doubt and got into other stuff but you've retained a massive love for all of this stuff these are your girls these These are my girls (laughs) it's it's my nostalgia and it's my present yeah um because i I and you know one of the things that the book does or hope it does I, I put these musical references and artist mm. references into it because 
I do strongly associate certain songs or artists or albums or mm. even genres with periods of my life. Um, so they are like pins on a map, um, mm, mm. sort of signaling where I was at the time, what I was listening yeah. to. And yeah. so, you know, I'll hear a song and I'll immediately remember that party or yeah. that friend who told me this. Yeah. Um, you know, Birds for me is the soundtrack of A Trip to China um, because the album came out, um, the album was officially out the day we left for China, but I knew I wasn't going to get to a music store before then, yeah. so I begged my friend at the music store, if you get an early copy in, can you please sneak it to me? Yeah. So he did. He yeah. gave me a copy of it, and I had God, it. that was such a um, <sighs> a big thing. It's so, <laughs> so you these know, days you it's like... tell the kids these days that they don't, you know, but that was such a big thing. I remember, yeah. I remember getting, and even when the... When the record eventually came out, and the and the staff back then, it was a big deal to be given the promo copy. Yep. And I remember yep. having and fuck, I should have kept them because I'm probably probably worth loads now to, to certain people. But I had things like the the promo copy of Radiohead's OK Computer. Oh my god! You know yeah. which which we played and play, and we could only play like two or three songs because when it when it came out, it wasn't didn't seem very shop friendly. Yeah, yeah. You know, you could only play two or three songs off it. But um, that was very coveted, and yeah. I got that, and also a Faith No More one, and, and I'd probably given them away over yeah. the years, which is dumb. But, you know, that was a really big deal. Yeah, so, no, yeah, I know yeah, about that. Yeah. 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 So I, I, you know, got the, I got the album mm. the afternoon before I had to fly wow. up to Auckland. Yeah. Um, yeah, and... So that just became the yeah the that, soundtrack. That for is that the whole, soundtrack yep. of the whole trip. Whenever yep. I listened to Drive, I, I just remember being yeah. in China and, yeah. you know, um, yeah. that year. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, the, these artists do mean a lot to me and these yeah. songs do mean a lot to me but then you know I, I do try to find new stuff I'm yeah. not as um, active or and, proactive yeah. in doing it anymore yeah. um, and when I do it's sort of quite accidental um, but you've kept up with these people through uh, arguably thick and thin in yeah. terms of their catalogs I'm very like, very yeah, loyal yeah 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 <laughs> and, and, and you know that's to me that's a really you know we can all pick and choose and you don't need to now, obviously, with with the way music's delivered, you don't need to keep and have everything. You know, people tend to do that as a true statement of yeah. fandom. But I do think it's important <laughs> to celebrate the the curios in an artist's oh, career totally. to try and under yeah. you know the to try and get your head around yeah. the mistakes or, yeah. or 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 just the you know someone like Tori Amos to me strike you know strikes me as someone who. Has probably never made a flat out bad album, but um, that I'm aware of. Yep. But um, there's definitely peaks that everyone's aware of, yeah. and then a lot of people just have simply forgotten about her. Yeah. But it's really interesting to go and listen to those lesser or you know the ones that weren't received as well, you know yeah. well and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, it's you know even someone like like to me, you know. Stevie Wonder's a, you know, the cliche is a musical genius, but fuck, he's made some terrible yeah, records, yeah. and they're fascinating, you know, like, and they're the ones I go back to now more than the, I mean, the, there's there's half a dozen that he made in a row that, to me, are just bit, better than most records anyone ever yeah. made, but I, I know every note of those, yeah. I'm way more interested in, you know, the fucking weird stuff that yeah. he did afterwards, yeah. where yeah. he was really lost for ideas, yeah. and or the really cheesy pop stuff, and that's, that's quite naff, but they all have one or two killer songs there's yeah. or there's something about it and yeah. again sometimes it's just because you were a kid when you first heard it exactly that yeah. stuff's really fascinating yeah yeah i'm a bit of, yeah i'm a bit of a completist and yeah so, so when, i used to be uh, I'm, I'm i'm trying to cut down <laughs> i'm trying to just for sort of 
Well, I, th- I used to think it was for physical space, but I think it's also for mental, mental space. Space. bandwidth yeah. now too. Because um, what I really love to do yeah. is if, if I fall in love with a particular album from an artist, I try and find all the B-sides from that particular album, anything recorded yeah. around that album, so then I can see, oh, what, what else were they sort of playing with? You know, mm. what, what could have been on the album? What Where could it actually have you gone? You don't go all super nerd and get like different copies of the same album though, I do, do you? no but I mean it's alright if they've got extra tracks you don't get like just different pressings like international versions do you uh, sometimes sometimes okay. Okay. That's, yeah no that's definitely that's, yeah. that's good that's no, good to I, know I, um, that is completist stuff I had to do a presentation on Alana well I didn't have to I chose to do a presentation <laughs> wanted to yeah on Alana's for English in full form and I took <laughs> I took like my copies of Jagged Little Pill and all the singles Singles. And yeah. like my classmates, like, why have you bought the singles when you've got the album? It's like, yeah. because collection, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's got stuff on it that it's, that's not on the album, even if they are just live tracks. Now, this is a, a very, and I, you know, I might get in trouble for saying this, but that strikes me as a very masculine trait the okay. collect, <laughs> collecting and ownership, which is not to say that it's only men that do that, yeah. but it's a charge that's often labelled at men that they. Yeah have this you know i'm only bringing that up because you were talking about how uninterested you were in yeah masculinity within music arguably yeah but that strikes me as quite a yeah i guess so i've um i i have i'm in like a a couple of uh facebook groups (laughs) um one of them is like the gay men's group for Tori amos um and and the guys there they yeah they you know share pictures of their collections yeah um there are certain artists that just i guess um, well, she, I mentioned this to you briefly you know, beforehand. We talked about she's an artist that she inspires complete devotion in her yep, fans, absolutely, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And now you've actually travelled to see her and stuff. Yeah. Like you've, I've seen her eight times um, on four different tours. Um, yeah. So three times. And never in New Zealand. Never in New Zealand. So because I don't, I, I, I know she came here once. Yep. Has, did she ever come back? Or was Not it just too. the one show? Uh, I don't. Sometime know. in the nineties, she, you know, like right around the time of the second or third album yep. she played here. See, um, because I've got, a, I've got the tour edition of Under the Pink, which has the. Um, all the uh, B-sides the, I had or, and the tour dates oh so right I think yeah, that yeah. was the last time that she played in yeah. New Zealand I think yeah. she only played Auckland yeah she did um, and yeah I because I, I really fell in with her in 98 when yeah. the Quiet Girl Hotel came out yeah and I didn't get ah right yeah yeah um, is that, that, so that's the fourth album. That's the fourth album. Yeah, see, I keep going on about the first three, but that, I, that, now you've just reminded me, I did like that a lot at the time too. That album yeah. um, was, you know, her first completely plugged album mm. with a full band mm. with a lot of electronics. Mm. Um, and it's such a dark personal album because it was sort of following um, her miscarriage and it's all mm. about, you know, losing that's the right, baby. That um, song in particular. Yeah. yeah. It's it's such a harrowing album, mm. but... It, there's also a lot of light on that album if you sort of mm. look under the surface. Um, and I love that album. Like I know that album from start to finish, inside out. Um, I, that is the album for me, you know, when it comes to right, her catalogue. Yeah. I love And it. it's so often the way when it's yeah. a first experience with someone. Yeah. Yeah, 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 like a first listening like, experience. I, yeah. I love Earthquakes, Pink and Pele, yeah. you know, almost equally. Yeah. But if I had to only ever take one right. yeah, with me yeah, to a yeah. desert island, yep, that, it would yeah. be Quiet Girl. Yeah. Um, and I didn't get to see her live until 2000, actually my master's year, um, 2004, I went and saw her in Sydney uh, twice uh, for the Beekeeper mm-hmm. uh, tour. And Beekeeper is, is an album that is much aligned within the yeah. Dreamers fan community. It, yeah. Um, 
it came after Scarlet's Walk, which was seen as sort of like a bit of a comeback after um, sort of disappearing for a bit. Yeah. Um, but Beekeeper was her sort of adult M.O.R. album. Yeah, I was yeah. Gonna, that's that's where she completely lost me. Yeah. And then I only just checked back in a couple of years ago yeah. and went, oh, there's a... As I'm saying, yeah. there's a few quite good things here. Yeah, yeah. I so that album for me, even though it's not one of my favourites, it does have a special place yeah, in my heart yeah, because yeah, yeah. that's the that's, tour. I was going to say that's another thing that, that comes up when you <laughs> see someone on a tour around something. Yeah. That album, and it's quite fun when it's like one of the lesser albums, yeah. and, a, and you've got a connection to it. Yeah, yeah. 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 You've got a reason for, for yeah for, for, for loving it, for yeah. loving it. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and I've been yeah. So I've seen her on that tour. I went to Melbourne for the American Doll Posse tour, where she toured with a whole band, and that was amazing. Mm. Uh, then saw her twice in London for Abnormally Attracted to Sin, and then the most recent time was for Unrepentant Geraldines. I saw her in Sydney with an orchestra, and that mm. was an amazing show. Mm. And then I went to Melbourne and saw a solo show. Um, so I've seen her solo with an orchestra and with a full band. I um, did. I didn't realise this was going to be my sort of coming out as a Tory Anderson, <laughs> but, but you're making me realise I'm way more into, I was way more into it than I, I do remember having a giant poster of her when I was in my first year at university yeah. in the hostel, and um, that was a kind of, you know, a lot of people wondered why I had this poster of her, was I, you know, was I attracted to her, <laughs> yeah. was I actually a fan of the music, what, and, um, what but, was the poster? Oh, just a poster of her. Just of her, okay. Uh, yeah. at, the, at the piano, um, and and I just bought it because I like I really loved the first record at that yeah. at that point. Um, but I was just, I just remembered and I wanted to know what you thought of there was that re- what was that really great covers album she did? Uh, Strange Little Girls. Strange Little yep. Girls. What what did you make of that? Because that I've just realised I fucking love that album. Yeah, I think it's a very strong album. Mm. Um, and how's that? How's that thought? Because I mean, she does loads of covers. Yeah. Like she does them live all over the place. But how is that? Since since you're part of a group of <laughs> a group of experts, how is that album thought of in her community I, of fans? People think. I imagine it's polarizing. Uh, it is uh, not polarizing in the sense yeah. as to whether it's a good or a bad album. But yeah. a lot of people do seem to think that it's the last time she was truly adventurous with her production. Right. Yeah. Because from Scarlet onwards, she kind of. Yes. Didn't quite push mm-hmm. the boundaries like mm-hmm. she did with um, everything from Pele, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. between Pele and Strange Little Girls. Mm-hmm. Um, Strange Little Girls is such a weird, like, entry in her mm-hmm. catalogue, though. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, she wrote, she recorded it because she wanted to get out of her contract with Atlantic. Um, because when she basically was disagreeing with them all the time, and when they sort of looked at the contract, she realised she didn't have to deliver an album of original material. Right. So she thought, okay. So it's, it's, it's one of those great fuck you albums, yeah, is what you're you. saying. Yeah, fuck you. Here's total, an album, but it's yeah, other people's it's, music. And it's not what you want, yeah. and I don't give a shit. But she yeah. still managed to make yeah. an album that had a, a concept. So, you know, yeah. taking the songs yeah. by men about women, but yeah. singing them from the women's perspective. And and there are, uh, um, what, three or four like quite um, uh, you know amazing oh. you know Rain and Blood is, is a big one that's like, such, a, like, because such that, an awkward song to listen to sure but that's what I mean like and but it's like yeah. you know ha- at that time when that came out how many Slayer fans were Tori Amos fans and vice versa <laughs> and so she built this bridge yeah. as well as like making the song very much her own yep. yeah yeah I yeah, think yeah. Her, I, I think one of her best ever Performances committed to tape is her cover of Eminem's Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, Bonnie that and Clyde. is extraordinary. That's like, another one that's just like that's cr- 
creepy as it's fuck. It's creepy as fuck, and a lot of people thought it was um, sort of a novelty song. Yeah. But I, I just, I, I still always come back to that song. She also found, I mean, it's not maybe it's not one of the album highlights for many people, but... I was amazed how she found a new way into Heart of Gold, you know, yep. one of, and, and also I'm Not In Love, like these yep. sort of kind of mawkish 70s staples. radio staples yep. that everyone, even fans of the, those artists are sick of those yep. songs because they're like kind of incorrect signposts. Yep. But so she kind of reinvented that, like yep. that version of um, Heart of Gold is yep. great. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It, and, and now I can, now I, I don't think I ever knew the story that it was like a kind of fuck you record, but it, it, it certainly does sound like that in some ways and, and you can see that with things like that version of Heart of Gold yep. that is like really messing with something. Yep. For the sake of, yeah. you know, why not? Why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and musical exploration yeah. within that, yeah. And I mean that, and just I mean, and you know how you discover other artists because your favourites cover them. You know, mm. I hadn't listened to Velvet Underground before mm, right. the album. So yeah. new, that New Age cover is, yes. is phenomenal, and it yeah, just well, that's, that's, got me in, investigate. Fuck, I'm going back to that album now because after this, because yeah, that New Age is one of my favourite, and and. That's that thing of Loaded, the Velvet Underground album yeah. that that's on, was the first Velvet Underground album I heard. Yeah. So that's okay. always been really, that's been really special yeah. to me. Like, everyone talks about the Banana record and yeah. White Light, White Heat and all that, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, I've always been team Loaded because, it's the, you know, I was a Lou Reed fan first yeah. and then I found the Velvet Underground through him. Yeah. And loaded was the one, and yeah, 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 yeah. No, so Joe Jackson was, you know, yeah, the cover of Real Men, yes. uh, which is yeah. I was going to say that that along with Rain and Rain and Blood, those are the kind of two that get talked about the most. I think yeah. as being quite and the and the Bonnie and Clyde one yeah. as being really extraordinary. You know, and the narrator shift, yep. like the whole thing of just flipping, just it flipping it. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, fuck, that's. I'm glad I remember. I'm glad. I'm glad that triggered that album for me because I I haven't listened to that album in years. Yeah. But, but I remember thinking it was. And and I'm a bit of a sucker for, uh, when an artist, uh, particularly a particularly an artist that's known as a songwriter, mm-hmm. um, when they record a bunch of covers, yep. I'm always interested in that. Yep. You know, it's it's like you want to know what's informed what, them. What's informed them? Yeah. Big time. Totally. Yeah, yeah, you know, and like, I don't, you know, if the, if the Spice Girls did a bunch of covers, I don't really care because basically that's what they're doing when they make records, you know, they're not <laughs> songwriters. So might be interesting if they explored, you know, a set of Motown songs, yep. might not be, but but yeah, like when Elvis Costello records a bunch of covers, yep. I, I consider him a great songwriter, so I want to hear what his, what his, what his take is. Take yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So you, you've travelled to see Tori. And so who else is inspired, you know, I mean, it sounds like everyone on that long list we've mentioned, <laughs> but PJ Harvey's the other one that you, you told me you've travelled yep, to see yep, her and yep. seen her a bunch of times. Seen is there anyone else? Um, I went to, <laughs> I went to, um, I saw Bjork in Auckland, uh, mm. big day out for Volta, and then mm. I went over a few days later to see her at the Sydney Opera House forecourt. Mm. Um, so that was sort of the same tour. Um, I think the furthest I've deliberately gone for a concert, so I saw. I said I saw Tori in London, but mm. that was sort of happening anyway, and right. I sort of just rejected things so I yeah. could catch her. But I think the furthest I've deliberately gone to see someone is New York for Madonna. Fuck. Um, when was that? That was not, uh, just after I turned thirty, so twenty twelve. Yeah. Um, and and was that worth it? Because I imagine it was she's so um, worth it. 
I imagine she's unpredictable as a, you know, the stories from that last tour, particularly she's unpredictable as a performer. I, but I would imagine Bach would be pretty great. It was so great. I, yeah. Um, what tour was that? That was the was it like a NDNA. Thing or? Oh, no, yeah. it was NDNA. Yeah. Um, and it was amazing. I had a really weird seat where I couldn't see the stage front on. I was sort of around the side. Mm. Um, but it also meant that I had this sort of view slightly backstage where I could sometimes see her changing costumes. Right, yeah, <laughs> So yeah, I was like, yeah. wow, this is amazing. Yeah, that's um, cool. That's like, we, we went to Lady Gaga and in Auckland the first time she yep. was massive and came and did, and we went quite by accident. We mm. were there for the Pixies, which had actually been, to me, really underwhelming. And a promoter had offered me um, tickets to Lady Gaga. I yep. was like, yeah, fuck, I'll go and see that. I hadn't listened to anything of hers. Yeah. Um, but we had these seats where we could see what was going on behind this, and it was yeah. such an amazing production. And uh, it was amazing. I wouldn't say it made me a fan because I didn't really seek out her music afterwards, afterwards but it, I was totally a fan of that show. It yep. was an amazing spectacle. But yeah. it was like going to a circus or something. And, yeah. that, and that's what I love about big pop shows. Yeah, yeah. They I exist, imagine Madonna's yeah, like that. Yeah, they it's, exist in this sort of state what, where this yeah. is a show. Yeah, it is separate yeah. from the record. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've seen... Madonna again twice in Auckland after right. that tour, yeah. um, and I I deliberately went twice because my friends wanted to get cheap seats, so we were further up, and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna splurge. Treat myself. And I got right down the front. And yeah, like it was it was well, like watching two completely. So when did so I mean, when did Madonna come into your world as a listener? <laughs> was that was that was she just always there on the radio and then one day you went fuck I love this stuff or was that quite late in life because I, I remember listening to her as a, or hearing her yeah. as a kid when my dad bought our laser disc player um, <laughs> yeah. he went off to the music store and bought a couple of albums he mm. bought um a John Roll CD and a Madonna CD. Right, because they usually go together. <laughs> I don't, I, to this day, I do not understand how he came to those two choices. <laughs> I think maybe he, oh, like, he obviously name recognition. Yeah. And it wasn't even one of the great Madonna albums. It was I'm Breathless, which right. is the Dick Tracy yeah, soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Which had Vogue, so I guess yeah. it was yeah. at the time that Vogue had come yeah, out. Yeah, okay. Um, and I just remember listening to that particular Madonna album a lot <laughs> as a kid. And then when... Ray of Light came out. Yeah. You know, she had she had worked oh, with Nelly. Oh yes, yeah. I can see how that Graham. would fit into your yeah. um, so thinking, stuff you were you know, listening to. It was yeah. Bukish, so I thought, yeah, okay, yeah. maybe I'll yeah seek this album out. And a good record. And it's and a great and, record. And it's the it's like it's kind of like the you know it's the snobs Madonna, Madonna album. <laughs> you know, like you can you know you can pretend you don't like Madonna yeah. but say you like that as an album. Yep. But also Madonna fans like it. Yeah. You know, people that love. Everything she's done generally like that album yeah. too because it's a strong album. Um, yeah. So I I got that album and I started listening to a lot of her stuff actually. Mm. I sort of sort of went backwards and sort of did erotica and bedtime stories mm. and then went further back and then at that point I was like okay yeah I'm definitely a fan so I started looking forward to each subsequent mm. album and I think you know that sort of late 90s early noughties Madonna mm. was a very adventurous period in her career in terms of what she was what's the album everyone hates american american life which life. i I, just, I figure you like that <laughs> i do like it i think she was i it, that album was ruined by releasing american, american life Pop, yeah, as yeah. a single yeah, as, yeah. especially as the lead single yeah um and it got overshadowed by all the controversy with the original music yes. video and all that bullshit but that album has some of her best songs on it and not even songs that were sort of geared to be radio hits they were just really well produced mm. 
dance pop electronic songs. Yeah. Um, and it's a shame that the album has sort of yeah. that sort of... Well, what about the yeah. last album that was a bit... What's that one called? The, the, the most, most recent, recent one was Rebel Heart. Yeah, and what, what, what did um, you think of that? I found that a little bit hard to bother with. Yeah, I think know. this is the issue I have with a lot of pop albums these days, is that there's no editing. Yeah. And that this whole sort of digital yeah. deluxe edition thing yeah, is like, yeah. let's just chuck five extra bonus tracks on it because we can Says now. the guy who collects every beast. Well, <laughs> Fuck off. But that's the thing, it's just like, you could always have the album as... as the, the artifact but then you had the, the B-sides yeah, and CD yeah, singles you know, that you know, they were the totally. they were the rarities yeah, 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 and things yeah, yeah, yeah. you sort out extra for extra they've just made it yeah. so much easier for everyone yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that's sort of I guess an issue that I have with a lot of Tori's output in sort of recent years is that she did just chuck everything onto it um, mm. and when those albums could have been really great 12 or 13 track mm. albums yeah that's exactly my uh, issue she's put out these 17 track yeah. albums eh? and yeah. it's just like no, not when, and not when it's not that adventurous, yeah. you know. Yeah. But even so, you know, and that was the other thing that was happening in that era was, that, yeah, that that's when the CD fully took over. Yeah. And I remember, you know, as a as a fan of a lot of hip hop in the late nineties and early two thousands, mm. the big problem was like these twenty track albums with that go for with, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you know, every now and then there's like I pulled out. Dre's 2001 the other week for the first time in fucking ages and I I don't care I reckon that's a classic yep. and I can even deal with the skits but fuck all else from that <laughs> you know like from that era yep. no thanks way too long mm. yeah yeah. so Re- yeah, Rebel Heart I, I think definitely has its moments I think it wow, was wow you are indeed yeah. well it, it sort of <laughs> there were moments on it that sort of um, revealed that okay she is kind of back on the right path in mm. terms of creating music that actually might last mm. like a, a lot of MDNA is just it's rubbish yeah. like I was so disappointed with a lot of that album yeah. but again because that was the album that I saw her with for yes, the first time yeah, some of those songs are just seared into my memory yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I mean Confessions was a great album is that the one with Hung Up? yeah which is you know to me that's the last really great yep Really great, and yeah. that is like as good as the the, the bangers from the eighties and early nineties. Yeah, yeah. It's right up there. That That's is just a, a classy pop. Twelve, song. really, yeah. eleven, <laughs> really great pop songs. Yeah, there's yeah. one song that I just can't stand. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I my uncle. <laughs> Remember, I remember my uncle sort of seeing a few of my al- my Madonna albums in my collection, just thinking, ah. Oh, where did I go wrong? Because he's a huge Rolling Stones <laughs> right. fan and, and Queen fan and thought that he had put me on this path right. you know, <laughs> in that direction and he couldn't believe that I had Madonna albums in yeah. um, my collection. But I, no, I, I think Madonna has given so much to the world of music mm-hmm. um, and broken down so many barriers. Yeah. You know, and yes, it's all patchy, um, yeah, yeah. especially in this little last 10 years or so, but mm. I think she's still doing some interesting stuff. Well, she's... You know, she's on a quest to remain relevant, and that's, you know, going to have issues, but that means she's trying, sometimes maybe a bit too hard, but but that's that's better than coasting and putting out loads of, like, the same level of bland, right, which a lot of people do. Yeah, so so I can, I'm not in deep with her, but I've always, I've always been a fan and it was just recently that I kind of went yeah I'm actually way more of a fan of Madonna than mm-hmm. I perhaps would have thought yep. and I started I've 
you know, I've got the first couple of records because I grew up with those, yeah. and then I've actually started buying. Yeah, some of the and a Ray of Light was got me back into her, but actually, yeah, I can I can dig some of the stuff that's come since that. Yeah, not not loads of it, but again, yeah, definitely there's a track or two on every yeah. album for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so do you want to read the? Because um, you you've got a nice little tribute line to Kate Bush, and 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 that book, haven't you? Can you reference? I'm trying to think what it's called. I'm sure you reference Kate Bush. I'm sure it's sort of in the notes at the back. Ah, well, there's this house which opens with. That's what I'm thinking of. Duh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I'm sure there's a, I'm sure there's a quote. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want me to read the whole book? Yeah. Line? Do you want to? Yeah. Um, if okay. you want to, yeah. yeah. Uh, so this opens with um, a quote from uh, a Kate Bush song called Get Out of My House, No Stranger's Feet Will Enter Me. Yeah. This house, one. This house is full of my mess. I had my paths and floor plans set, but somewhere in the midst of someone else's narrative, parts of me left the same room through separate doors. No obvious pinpoints, not in the subplot. Endured but not endorsed, a sledgehammer to drywall. The plaster flecks like damaged snow. This is not my life anymore. This is not engagement. Glass speaks of never seeing as both sides, and wood is burdened by the whims of time. What to do now with those career prospects and the heaving expectation of creative endeavour? Use hunger as drive. Nothing stars me more than when ambition sings. Two, this house is full of mistakes. I think of my childhood home, stripped of its internal organs and rendered lame. On the day of separation, I visit its shell form and take memories from each room before realising this is the first time alone in the house. To be present amid the curses of a house scorned, that is a mourner's meal. It dawns on me that I have been writing about the wrong houses my entire life. Mismatched wallpaper, nonsensical colour schemes, like rabbits is to hats as secrets is to closets. I'll build a new house and call it antiquity. Plans and growth spurts set in door jams. Three, this house is full of madness. A life traversed without seasoning, that is the fear that locks me. Insulation kept my house dry and muffled the sound of doubt swimming through the walls, but now any talk of ambition paralyzes me. If or when noise control arrive to confiscate these thoughts, I must, I must decide what to hide and what to show always conscious of what others may perceive to be too much information, even though I will never know enough about them to wield as insight. Every shadow cast in this house is heavier now, and the slack doors have mastered the art of talking back. 4. This house is full of flight. Perhaps my parents will attend to my poems and be taken aback by the presence of a certain unnamed, unnamed male, one who has found a place to read and sleep in the best-lit room. This man and I have shed more than each other's time. He has a name, he'll always have a name, but for now I leave him unidentified, a stand-in for every boy lusted after from the first blush of danger. The flawed, the taken, the straight boy crushes, and the vindictive, each one furniture in an unfamiliar house, carelessly stashed away in corners, conclusionless. But with him, there was follow-through, safe passage between rooms previously unexplored. A vivid dream. Mm. I don't think I've ever read that out loud. 
Oh, nice. <laughs> um, that um, nicely um, predicts some of your some of what you said was your mother's response. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, don't, I, I don't know whether I've always felt that deep down inside or, or not. Like, I, I guess mm. you know these things can go either way. Mm. But yeah, I um, I mean that poem started out as a poem about our my childhood home, which my parents decided to sell. Mm. Um, and I remember asking if I could go up just to take photos. Um, and that was the first time um, I'd ever been alone in that house. Yeah, because we'd, we'd sort of moved from out of that house and mm-hmm. mum and dad had rented it out. Mm. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it was it was a strange sensation. Mm. But then it sort of morphed into, th- into this poem about creativity and um, mm. um, other things. Yeah. Mm. And um, what did... What a, what does Kate Bush mean to you? Because I'm interested in and in, you know, you're such a Tory Amos fan <laughs> that I'm interested in this mention of Kate Bush because you know there's this thing people some people just say just have just written Tory Amos off over the years without even listening to her yeah. pretty much, and there's been some different stories about whether she was ever a fan of hers yeah, or not. She's yeah. probably because it's probably been a fucking annoying question for yep. for her. So where does she, where does Kate Bush sit um, for you? Did you find out about her afterwards? Yeah, no, I, I found yeah, out yeah, about yeah. And, her afterwards. Um, and are you, how much of a fan are you and stuff? I would say I'm a fan. Yeah. Um, I I think it was Tory. Basically, yeah, that led yeah, me to yeah, her because yeah. I read something where she talked about um, yeah. Hounds of Love and, in particular, the Ninth Wave. Yeah. So I thought, all right, I'll I'll find it um, and listen to it. And um, I picked up. I think it was like probably 1998 They re- remastered it and yeah. added those yeah. bonus tracks with all the yeah. B sides and things. So I got yeah. that version of the album. And from the first, you know, f- few bars of mm. Running Up the Hill, I knew mm. it was like, okay, yep. I like and I, that album, and again, obviously, that's that's one of those albums that over the years people have, if, if people have no interest in Kate Bush, they know about that record. That, yep. um, but I could imagine that record sitting well with you, like the whole Ninth Wave little yep. sort of story sequence within yep. an album. Yep. Like it's that's one of those records that yeah, you can approach out of interest for a writing process, yeah, right? Like yeah. also, it's got some fucking bangers on it. Oh, but that you whole know, first ru- half, is yeah, amazing. running up that hill is yep. like. You know, amazing to me. I ne- it's one of those songs. I've heard it so much. You just never get sick of it. It's just always a good time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's eighties without feeling dated. Yeah. Either. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Is, there is a timelessness yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. Actually, another reason, another route to the album was a review of um, version two point zero by Garbage. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that mentioned how the strings. In this, their song, the triggers to keep breathing was very mm. um, Kate Bush esque and alluded to cloud right, yeah, yeah, very staccato. Yes. Um, so, uh, having read that, that sort of oh, okay, there's another yeah. reason why I should seek this album out. Um, I that it's that album, the Sense Your World, mm. um, and the Dreaming. Those mm. three albums um, that I sort of keep yeah. returning to. I, yeah. I actually um, Never Forever is a great album. I think that's often yep. underrated as yeah. a as a classic. So is Lionheart. Yeah. yeah, and Lionheart was sort of that album that came out, what, like well, 10 months after? I was just going to say, those first four yeah. records uh, are out in like two years or something. It's yeah. kind of like 60s style, yeah, you know, boom, boom. it's just, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, um, it's, it's, like, it's like deciding on a favourite Bob Dylan record for yeah. a particular period, there's just too many options. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, the, and the sort of the recent stuff after the break. Yeah. 
I have enjoyed, but probably doesn't hold as much weight yeah. as those other albums. Yeah, I reckon Ariel's quite um, quite good, yep. and 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 I, I sort of feel like it, it. I'm sure it got pretty pretty well recognised, mm. but but I feel like that's because it's got that conceptual kind of thing going on, and yep. I, f- I feel like that's a record people will discover again in a few years. Yep. Like it, it'll yep. actually it could be the thing that leads some people to Kate Bush. Yeah. They and might I'm, find I'm, that first and then go. Wow, she was an '80s pop yeah, star. Yeah, because when she um, yeah. when she did the the shows in London, yes. you know, she did the Ninth Wave and she yes. did um, yeah, the, uh, the sequence Honey. from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's definitely it's definitely something I will go back to. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you know, it's as we no, it's said, that, it's that first album, and it, it's yeah. always been Hounds of Love for me. Yeah, which is yeah, you know, and that's that's that thing of if you're going to pick a Kate Bush album, yeah. just about every, you know, anyone picking anything other than that that's fine if it's got a purpose for them yep. but it really is the correct one to, you know and that <laughs> yeah, really the is the correct answer. answer yeah 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 so man we've had a big old chat is yeah. there anything and I've, and I've loved it and, we, and I feel like we could just keep going on this on this uh, this wave we're on of, of me bringing up um, women what do you think of this yeah that I'm, that I'm sure you're going to like and maybe I'll maybe you'll come back and do that again another time but, but is there anything that you really want to put across that you'd wished I'd, I'd asked or is there any anything that we need to plug or no or push? I, I, please buy the book yeah obviously yeah obviously no I, I think yeah I, I, I just really appreciated this opportunity to talk about the music. Like, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I've done some great interviews about this book. Yes. And I've sort of skirted along the music stuff, but, you know, I, I really do hope that people not only get the sort of the deeper, you know, mm. personal experience stuff that's mm. in the book, but, you know, that music is a very important thing to mm. me. And I wanted to pay tribute to you know, some of these songs, some of these artists that have meant so much to me and what they've, um, what they've not only contributed to like, my creative life, but how they've gotten through mm. you know, some of these personal mm. experiences. You know, I, I, I always say to myself, if I ever meet Tori Amos, I have to stop crying and <laughs> or hold it back. <laughs> yeah. And I will tell her that listening to her music made me feel safe. Yeah. It, it actually it was, oh, it was a way of just working out. Know, who you were who and, I was and, and, and the and, feelings and yeah. how you could be yeah. like how you could yeah. get by and yeah. and not just get by actually flourish yeah. yeah and you know what she's put of herself and her traumatic yeah. experiences into yeah. her music has, has really helped you know yeah. it's it's made it you know so much more easier to deal with yeah yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to is there anything else you want to read do you want to go out with something alright I will read I'll read the last poem um, and this is called Wolf's. Now, how, I mean, how new is this book? Because it's pretty new. It's 2018. Yeah, it came out in March right. this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it's still it's, only so a couple very, of months old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good. Um, so I read. So you know the the extent to which music has sort of infiltrated this book. So the title "He's So Mask" is a play on "She's So Unusual." Yes. And um, the last track. Sorry, the last track. <laughs> The last poem. No, you should call, <laughs> you should call them that. You should have put that in the table. Yeah. Track one, track, track one, two. two. Yeah. Um, the last poem is Wolf Spirit Fade Out, which of course is a nod to um, uh, the last track on The Bends, mm. um, Street Spirit. Mm, mm. Um, so Wolf Spirit Fade Out. There's a song you cannot trust to keep you bathed in colour. It pounds like a 90s house piano track until your legs 
turn to smoke. It fades into shadow. It stops smiling when you enter a room. The last light falls from your face as the moon carves its way out of the sky. This song is the death of the wolf, is the death of days you thought you were both still singing, passing into wild youth, diminishing from earshot. Just be happy for having danced with the wolf, his clear, solitaire eyes, his tracks in your history. Be brave. Press repeat. Wow. Hey, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you through this <laughs> conversation. And um, I, 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 I guess I hope a lot of things for you. I hope lots of people discover the book. I know, I know people have already, mm. and you know, you're well established in your poetry career. I, I, I hope to see another book of poems from you before too long. I hope you write that book of Fingers essays. <laughs> I hope you write that book of essays. And, and, I, and I hope you get to meet or communicate with Tori Oates. <laughs> oh, no, sincerely, on a, on a, on a level where you yep. get to put across... Maybe you, maybe you write that in an maybe essay. Write that, yeah. You know, I don't know. But, uh, but I, I hope all of those things for you and, and, and lots more. And, and this has been uh, a great pleasure hearing, you know, a lot of deep backstory around yeah. influence and who you are. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Don't take me back to Back to the range I'm just coming out of the cell in my brain Don't take me back to the range Back to the range Cause girl, you to know these days Which side you really want Mama got a shine, she loved a brown man. Then she built a bridge in the sheriff's side. She'd do anything to save her man. You see, her olives, they are cool. Uh-huh.